0: Log Talk Radio.
1: It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from
2: This is Priscilla Lima.
1: This is Casey Patterson. Is the story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. So I'm not looking at just this year, I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to
3: The Net Live with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Roucher. I have a great size. It's The Net Live right now. Are we on? Oh yeah. We are? Oh yeah. Oh man, I'm still working on the show here. Welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. The sixth of August. So We are halfway through our fifth season, Jeremy. Feels good. Halfway through our fifth year, and we are actually done shooting our second ever set of photographs.
4: Finally, Jeremy gets in the ads. Two thousand
3: ten was the last time we shot photos, right at the end of the A V P.
4: Right when I was contacted about being on the show.
3: Coincidence? You were available. <laughs> hey, this guy Jeremy's got some time on his hands now. We shot at the Long Beach AVP event back in 2010, which turned out to be the last event. No one knew that outside of a small inner circle until that event was actually occurring. But that was the beginning of the end for the AVP, or I guess the end of the end, maybe?
4: Maybe the end it of the was end. was
3: the beginning of the
4: end for that incarnation of the AVP. Right. The, yep.
3: Of course, the new AVP back. But Reed that was BFF Nick Lewin. It is BFF. Yeah. It is. I'm not sure why. And if you want to go back and listen to some entertaining shows, go back and listen when the AVP collapsed. The exact dates. What was that? Is that July? I'm thinking that's July of 10.
4: Yeah, it it was. Maybe June. June or July of
3: 10. It was mid-July, I think. Mid-July of 10. we had the AVP collapse on the following Monday. We had on...
4: You had Hodel and Dodd. And
3: Mike Dodd. And then I think the week
4: after, I wasn't on the show yet, but week after, the week after,
3: you had Nick Lewin. We had Nick
4: Lewin. Who put you on hold. Who put
3: us on hold <laughs> while he was in the bathroom or something. Uh, I don't know what he was doing.
4: That's where the story's going now. That was a, just yeah, hold on, one, Hold on one
3: second, guys. <laughs> hold on. I got to wipe. Hang on a second. Yeah, go back and, and listen to that. Anyway, some new images coming. Those of you who have been following us on the Facebook page have noticed that we posted, I think, one. Maybe a couple. There were a couple Game of Thrones-type photos. The goof-around stuff ended up being more popular than maybe our actual stuff will be. Well, of course.
4: You were wearing a fur rug,
3: and then then you threw it on me. We found it in the studio. Yeah, good time. Yeah, we threw it on you, and you shot what will be the cover of your next album.
4: Well, of course. Sunglasses, fur, suave hawk. What else do you need?
3: Looking away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's on your next cover, I I'm guarantee. too cool to be here. You need a space background, that's for fine. sure, space background. That. Something with Saturn. Maybe, like you know, redo the 70s. You need something like an Asia-type nice. thing, background, something like that. All right, let's get to the show today. We will have new images for you someday. Today is not the day, but we do have a great show planned for you. Albert Hanneman, president, CEO, owner, director, Duke, King. Duke? I don't know. <laughs> Boss man over there at the NBL, he's going to come on at ten thirty. He has one event remaining for the summer, but we will talk to Albert about his season thus far, the shifting nature of his business, perhaps towards the juniors, and how he is dealing with the pressure from the other tours. Should be an interesting conversation. And then we will have Jake Gibb. Yes, we We will will have Jeremy doing his first ever solo interview with Jake Gibb, doing his best. Larry King. Totally. Hermosa Beach. Hello. Yeah, that's exactly what I sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have Jeremy visiting with Jake Gibb. That was this past Saturday down at the beach as Jake was preparing for yet another volleyball tournament all around the world. Heading to Russia this next week? Or Germany? We're Germany. Berlin. Berlin, then Russia, then Moscow. And Coach's Corner, last week we had Tyler Hildebrandt. He went from indoors to out, of course, coach for Jake Gibb and Casey Patterson. Now we have Jeff Alzina, longtime outdoor coach, who also does some indoor coaching. We'll continue to discuss the shifting nature of some of these coaching jobs where sand is becoming more popular at the juniors level. It's becoming more popular at the collegiate level. And there are a lot of coaches, some with a lot of experience outdoors, some with less experience outdoors who are moving back and forth between these two worlds. We've seen players do it for years and years. Yep. We haven't seen so many coaches do it because there really weren't a lot of outdoor positions available. Now there are.
4: Yeah, other than uh, pro. Right. On the beach, there wasn't collegiate.
3: There's and well, pro is kind of sporadic. It, only a few people had really coaches. Well, at it, the right?
4: top player, well, coaches that would travel and things like that, That the coaches that could actually make a living at it. Um you know, getting percentage of the winnings, probably some sponsorship deals.
3: Tough to exist on a percentage
4: of zero. Well, if you're finishing 17th, you're not going to have a full-time coach. Let's just be real about it.
3: Yeah, but uh, the question becomes, how do you become someone who's not finishing 17th if you don't have a full-time coach? It's an interesting cart-before-the-horse kind of situation, chicken Ch- and chicken egg. Chicken or the egg? Yeah, exactly.
4: you got to have some talent, Kevin. Uh, I don't
3: know anything about that. I just sit <laughs> here and host this show. I'm not sure what uh what talent we're what talking that, what about. that means, speaking of talent three time olympian Stacy Sakura, yep, a lot of talent there for sure, announces her retirement, stacy Sakura, of course m v p in two thousand ten as the women's international team won world championships, she really kind of dominated that libero position. She did. She kind of pioneered the thing. She played in the first Olympic Games where it was a position. That would be 2000 in Sydney. She then played in Athens and then again in Beijing. And Stacy, one of the remarkable athletes, but also one of those athletes who you could put on the floor in the middle of a match, and she would just change the tone of the match. Uh, those who are, are familiar will remember that Stacy was playing for her professional team in Brazil in 2011, the bus carrying the entire team in the rainstorm crashed. Is that 2011? Was that long ago? 2011. Wow. Bus crashed, turned on its sides. Stacey was thrown, uh, had her head impacted by something inside the bus, and ended up face down in a pool of water. Her teammates and her coaching staff picked her up and and did their best to get her out of there, but she suffered. A pretty significant injury. We had here her on the show here to talk about it after she returned to the States. She was in a month-long medically induced coma. We had her here on the program a while back. You can look it up probably. That would be early 12, early last year, to talk about the injuries and talk about her recovery. She was working on coming back to the national team. I'm guessing it's sometime around March would be that interview with Stacey. Yeah. And saw her shortly thereafter in some scrimmages. She was still having vision issues. Really never the same again because the, the brain injury did impact her vision quite significantly.
4: And to her credit, I mean, she was back in the gym training with them. I think she just she said on the show she's just having a hard time tracking the ball sometimes. Right,
3: and Reed Pretty went through this as well. He also struggled with that when he received a pretty nasty injury.
4: When he broke his face? When he had his
3: face broken by Max Holt, he uh, he had a similar type issue. He's been able to make a recovery and return to full action. Stacy was never really able to return to being herself. And I, I thought a pretty interesting quote from Stacy and and one that I can identify with.
4: And I posted the article from sports illustrated on our Facebook page for those of you
3: interested facebook.com slash the net live. But I, I liked her quote and I identify with it. Of course, she has a more significant injury than a lot of the stuff that ends other careers like my knees and such. But she said, I was just upset because it wasn't my choice. I didn't get to retire. I had it taken away from me. It wasn't like I wasn't good enough. I couldn't play volleyball. I couldn't even try. The battle couldn't be fought. That's why London was so hard on me. Uh, it's got to be tough
4: when it's taken away from you. I mean, it's always going to be taken away from you in one shape or form. Age is going to get you. Injury is going to get you. But this is a different... Random event. Yeah, it's not an injury that you sustained on the court playing. You were
3: in a bus. It's not like you were doing something stupid. Exactly. And hurt yourself. Yeah. No, you. you <laughs> she's riding on the bus to a match. Yeah. That's uh, a unique... Circumstance, for sure. So Stacy had been continuing to train and try and train. She trained all the way for the 2012 games. Did not make that team, obviously. I had been also training a little bit off and on. Went and played for an Italian team last year. Ended up leaving because she just couldn't perform the way she expected. And I see some Facebook stuff and here and there, and she's been kind of bouncing around. But she's back in the gym. She was doing a little coaching with the USA Volleyball High Performance Championships. Mm-hmm. And I think she decided to officially retire. She's not ready to coach, she says. Yeah, according to the article. But she's ready to move on. Uh, so congratulations to Stacey Secor on a fantastic career. She was MVP in 2010, and congratulations on being a three-time Olympian, a silver medalist.
4: It's not a bad resume, Kevin.
3: In Beijing, very nice job. Uh, we're sad to see you go. We're sad to the circumstances that forced your retirement. But Stacy, uh, life well lived for a while, and good luck on your next Can endeavor. The early thirties at this point. Yeah, I would Stacy's gotta be in on here, it. it's thirty six. Yeah. That's thirty six. It's early because that's how old I am. Is that what it's saying? <laughs> so so early in her thirties? Thirty six so, in the new early thirties. So early. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
4: I refuse to be in my mid thirties until I turn thirty six. Even at thirty five, it's not my mid thirties. I'm middle thirty. Not my mid thirties. But now I'm mid thirties. Sorry. No day over twenty eight though. You don't? Nope. According to me, I don't know if anybody else feels that way. I had a lady at the grocery store tell me I was looked in my early 40s. I almost reached across the counter and choked her. <laughs> Seriously. You got that offended? I was. I was
3: not pleased at all, Kevin.
4: Early 40s? Come on.
3: Early 40s? Yeah, that's not that's not cool.
4: And she wasn't saying it like, ha-ha, like trying to make fun of me. She's like, no, I don't need your ID. You look like you're in your early 40s. <laughs> not cool, Kevin. Not cool at all. Oh, I love it. I'd also been traveling for like thirty six hours straight, so you well, could take that into account, but still. Okay.
3: So that happened. Uh, if you travel that long, that happens to
4: you. Yeah. It's not gonna age me by twenty years.
3: <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, All right, six six-man happened this past week. It did? <laughs> Breaking news, it's over. I have no idea who won. I didn't even know what was happening. We were getting, we were going to shoot photographs, and you emailed me and said, "Well, we should select a different place to go because a six man in parking will be a nightmare." Yeah, you wanted, you wanted to go six man. Yeah,
4: you wanted to go to Manhattan.
3: Playoff six man.
4: What I heard is that the play was great because had what you had a lot more of the college kids. Okay. Um so you probably had some college teams out there. I know there's some kids from Irvine. I'm sure UCLA and all that stuff were out there as well. So I heard the play level of play was great. Okay. The fan turnout, not so much. But it's
3: that's what a they want, right?
4: Or Thursday in the middle of the week, you're not going to get a bunch of fans. Yes, I think uh, Manhattan Beach has accomplished what they thought they wanted to accomplish.
3: <laughs>
4: My gut says that that event's not going to be in Manhattan much longer.
3: The bars weren't real happy that that was the goal and that that's what happened because their business sucked compared to the year before. Well, apparently two years apparently before, that's what say. they wanted, too. I don't know. Not the bars. There's no way. They're, they're making money on that week now. Shellbacks are still making money. Let me tell you that right now. Well, Shellback makes money anyway. Yes. Maybe not as much but as they did before. They made a bunch two years ago on Six Man. A whole bunch. I just want the chat board here, Jeremy. That's all I want. We have some people in there,
4: but nobody's talking to me yet.
3: Yeah, so Six Man, I, I, you know, it, it's a tough schedule. There's SmackFest, which is, I think, the new Six Man. I mean, SmackFest has been going on for 20 years, but it's SmackFest is 4s. Well, right, but the vibe, the vibe that you want and that that's historically been at Six Man is what was at SmackFest costumes. The, all the low-key players were there. Their friends were there. The hangout part was fun. It wasn't the craziness and the Playboy top ten parties in the United States Correct. that Six Man became. That really blew it up. The internet did did blow it up for sure into something that it had not been. It had been a local festival for a long time. Remember Six Man, a part of a larger uh, festival that goes on every year in Manhattan Beach. Part of the Surfman Festival, Surf Manhattan Beach Surf Festival?
4: I think so, because it's, it's cause a CBVA
3: event. Yeah. It's attached to a surf surfing event. Surf well. Festival. Yeah. They, they have lifeguard competitions. They have, is it dories? What do they call those boats? They race the boats. They do a bunch of boat racing and swims dinghy? and all kinds of stuff. Nice dinghy? Dinghy. <laughs> is that what <laughs> we're talking about? Hey, around? Tommy! Nice dinghy. So, yeah, I think that SmackFest Fest is, is going to take over some of that vibe. Now it's a tough schedule if you wanted. If you're a recreational player, yep. Smackfest three weeks ago.
4: Oh, this year was brutal.
3: Two weeks ago, FIVB. Correct. The Long Beach event where you played sixes and fours. And fours, and that happened over the weekend. Then later in the week, you have to return
4: to refire back up.
3: Yeah, take the a. ice packs off, get the ace bandages wrapped around you, and go play six man.
4: The good news is for those of you that. Uh, like to partake in the libations. If you've started three or four weeks ago, you're you're in top physical drinking condition. <laughs> come six man,
3: top physical drinking condition. Yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, the only problem is you had to take off of work to do it. But yeah, you can you could probably bomb a six pack and still bomb and be a, fine, and and still bomb a six pack. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, I I I think six man's dead. Actually, I think six man is back to being what they want it to be. It's a volleyball tournament. Nothing to do with anything else.
4: It's a CBVA event.
3: Nobody cares. Nobody goes. Nobody plans their week around it.
4: It's just a volleyball tournament. It's just now. a volleyball yeah. tournament.
3: And I—that I, may have been the goal. That's what it
4: used to be. Um, Nancy Mason's team won again for the fifth year in a row. I do know that. Men's side, I have no idea who won.
3: I—I've I, not seen any report. I've not even seen a Facebook page for said event. I don't know. It's weird that I wouldn't—I would not even be in touch with that.
4: I like to remind people that i played in six-man twice, won it twice, and have since retired.
3: I finished second. Yep, I have a second my, place to fletch.
4: My team beat you on you. You're welcome. Uh, were you on the court? I was, actually, Kevin. You were? Because we were smashing you down so bad. Really?
3: Yep. No, By we, you mean Dave McKenzie?
4: I don't know if he was spatching balls out of bounds oh, in that was, match no, or not. he was MVP. He was MVP. Against you guys he was? I don't remember how
3: we dominated. He went off. Like, he was transforming fist mode and crushing fist mode. Dave is the, um,
4: he's that guy you love in six man because, one, he's either going to smash it in your face or he's going to hit it 30 feet out of bounds. But both are as entertaining as the other. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're both extremely entertaining.
3: Yeah, Dave McKenzie, (laughs) high on the entertainment value side of things. Also happening this past weekend, not on the week, but on the weekend, was the J.O. Yep. We talked to Jason Olive about this before, former University of Hawaii star, current uh, entertainment professional. He is just, a working actor. Just wrapped 100-plus uh, episodes of a show, which I cannot remember the name of. Comedy. It's, filmed, a, Tyler, it's a Tyler Perry show, down in Atlanta. I cannot think the name of it. Yeah, well, congratulations to him on getting to syndication. It's a big deal. But he held the J.O., 10th J.O., Big celebrity volleyball tournament, fun event. Oh, yeah. Happening in at del Rey. Heard our own Reed Pretty showed up. I saw a picture of lots of the other national team guys yeah. showing up at the event. St. John Smith there doing some work on the mic. St. Some lovely ladies. Spraw was there. Some pictures. Yeah, kind of a, a neat event. Oh, yeah, for sure. J.O. gets some people out there. Yeah, the merging of uh, volleyball and entertainment. Mm-hmm.
4: He's done a good job with that
3: event. Yeah. So, J.O., uh, congratulations on a great event. Let's have him on here talk about it. You might be too busy as an actor. He is a working actor. He's big time, no doubt. He is big time. I remember, probably told the story before on the show. I remember, they used to make posters at Pepperdine before matches, like on-campus promotions. Yeah. So they would make kind of clever posters or something. Come see the match for this or that reason. Well, they had a guy Nate. I can't remember Nate's last name at Pepperdine. Who While you were playing there. No, this is a year before. Oh, okay. Who had done some catalog modeling. As a young man, like J.C. Penney, LL Bean, whatever. So they had Jason Olive coming to town from Hawaii. The poster was Battle of the Supermodels. Nice. Someone dug up one of Nate's pictures, put it on there. This wasn't easy back then. They were talking 1994.
4: Hey, how did this they took know? This some
3: work. How did they know
4: he did it? They had to call his parents.
3: They had to get a, they had to... a catalog. Photocopy it on a
4: printer somewhere. Correct. It
3: go to FedEx Kinkos. They, they paid $5 for one color copy.
4: Yeah. Or just the Kinkos. It probably wasn't FedEx Kinkos then. It was just Kinkos. Yeah.
3: And they had to come up with these posters and print them. So it was Battle of the Supermodels. I actually saw the flyer a year later. People had hung on to it. It was so funny with Jason Olive. That's funny. Versus Nate. I can't remember Nate's last. Who won? Time. I believe Hawaii won that year. Gotcha. I believe. Not 100% certain. That having it fire still feel house like that was funny. Nowadays that stuff's easy to do. Fun to, to get a hold of all that stuff. But
4: Speaking of modeling, Kevin, you showed me some
3: photos earlier today from your house. I thought that was like a family photo album and then I opened it up and it was a bunch of nude athletes. Yeah. Champions, it's a hefty tome you have there.
4: No, no, I'm just I wasn't expecting to see nude photos of you when I showed up to your house today. <laughs>
3: tasteful nudes. Well this is Art see tasteful nudes. This is let me tell you the story of when I posed nude for Elton John. Yeah. That's what this is all That's, about. That is a great... Did you see the Elton John photo? It's in the front or in the back. I, I, did, I
4: didn't. I don't need to see Elton naked.
3: Well, he's not naked. Elton and John's I think not you were
4: the... Naked. One, two, three... Wait for it. You're the third athlete in this
3: book. Third? Yeah. Who's number one? Uh, Venus Williams. Yeah. I got beat out by Venus. Spun? But I am number three. This was back 2004, right before the games.
4: I'm just assuming these pictures are blown up in your bedroom. <laughs> Framed
3: <laughs> on the ceiling in the bathroom. Yeah, you know what's funny about you posing nudes? <laughs> <laughs> about that that notion of having nudes of yourself. I, I'm in the middle of watching Queen of Versailles. Yeah, on Netflix. Have you watched this? No, you know no, the story of no. Queen of Versailles. No. Westgate timeshares. This guy. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name offhand. A- anyway. A family that was building the single large, the largest single-family home in the United States, started doing a documentary on them in 2007 or so. Well, the whole world came crashing down in 2008. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, is a 70-year-old man and a you know 40-year-old woman or 30-something-year-old woman who's former Miss New Jersey or something. And she's a little wacky. A little bit. A little wacky. Uh-huh. And he has more money than God at at the start of the film. That's a lot. They are living in a 17 bathroom 26,000 square foot home that they are quote outgrowing. They are building a 50, no, 50? 50,000 square foot 23 bathroom house because they can they can. Okay. And then they couldn't so I'm I'm halfway through but the funny the reason I thought of it with the having images of my own naked body around the house <laughs> is that she has that stuff. She has those Louis the 14th paintings of herself on the wall. She has a steel a a stainless steel like um Lovely. not bust but you know the headless the torso thing. She has that around of like her.
4: That would be weird. It's in the gym. And like what it like when your friends come over?
3: I, it's There's so strange. Out. Yeah. The narcissism is
4: so strange. So you guys share that in common. D- you don't
3: knowledge. get me wrong. I like the mirror in the gym. I like to see what I'm working on. That's fine. But that level of narcissism, there not, is not a bust of me anywhere in the not house. Not nude
4: photos of yourself while you're working out?
3: No. I have the book. It was a charity project I did for the Elton John AIDS Foundation. No, it was great photos. Great uh, great book. It was a cool thing to be a part of. And, of course. And part of my thinking was because I, I got involved with these guys. They were taking photos around the training center. Uh, there's actually a print downstairs somewhere, I don't know, of, of me and a bunch of other Olympic athletes that was just taken around the training center. Yeah, Tara Knott, people may remember her, uh, Olympic weightlifter, gold medalist. Uh, a couple of Barb Kunkel, very famous judo athlete. But they were taking these photos and I just asked them, what are you guys doing? Because they were just around the training center. Yeah. You know, we're like, Monkeys in a cage. Yeah. You know, people were wandering around. <laughs> so I asked them, I said, well, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're photographers, this and that. So i get to know them a little bit and took some photos for them. And, and then uh, not naked photos, just working out photos.
4: <laughs> I like now that we have to uh, make that statement. Right, right. Took not photos, naked photos. Not
3: naked photos. So I was in that project. And they had done a similar project. You can look it up. I think it's called uh, Athlete Warrior.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And it was pictures of the service academy athletes in their athletic uniforms mm-hmm. and then in their service uniforms. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool series. Huge prints. Like, I mean, life-size prints. Yeah. Just massive. Really neat. They've had them on display at the training center several times. Um, so, I, I met them and, and kind of got to be friends with them. They called me in '03, 03, late 03, early 04, and said, hey, we're doing this project We're you know, they knew Elton John. They're British guys. They're yeah. friends of Elton John. I had met Elton John actually at one of his concerts and stuff. Tiny man. Tiny person. Yeah. Uh, but and not just compared to you. Fantastic this entertainer. 100%. I never got it until I went to his concert and I sat in the second row.
4: And then you realize you know every single lyric to every single song.
3: But he's just a great entertainer. For like sure. The concert is fun. One of the coolest things he did, too. These guys show up in the front row. They are gayer than gay. Not if there's anything wrong with that. Seinfeld. But they are huge Elton John fans. Yes.
4: Was this before he had admitted that he was gay or no? No, it's, it's well after.
3: So, so they come down, and they're on the phone. And stuff, so we start talking to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: turns out they're supposed to be in the back of Pepsi Center. Oh. The full, like, like, back, row, upper, whatever. X, 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 X. They are now sitting in the, front, in the front row because Elton, before the concert, sends out one of his people with tickets
4: to bring people up To front.
3: find the real fans. To find real fans
4: to bring them to the front of the concert. These
3: guys are walking by. Somebody, a guy goes, hey, you need tickets? Two of them walk by. The third one goes, well, what do you have? And he goes, these are on Elton. That's awesome. They have no idea where they are. They go to their tickets. they are I mean, celebration ensues. They're going crazy.
4: Greatest concert they've ever had in their life, and they're still talking about it today, I guess They went nuts for, of course, for two hours. Those nuts. The, the real fans are the ones that are literally they're dressing up. There's no every lyric to your song, but they can't afford it. They're sitting in the back where you're getting the echo of the speakers. like You're right. not even getting or it in real time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're hearing it like two or three times because it's bouncing off the walls.
3: So I thought that was very cool. That is cool. So anyway, these guys, Anderson and Lowe, Jonathan uh, Anderson, Edwin Lowe, they call me. And I actually saw these guys in London last year. They called me in 04 and they said, hey, we're doing this project to benefit the Elton John AIDS Foundation because it is a fantastic organization. And we would like you to be in it. I said, well, cool. I'm kind of honored. That's cool. You know, but what do you mean? And, and they said, well, there's one thing. I said, so I have to take my clothes off? And they said, yes. I said, Okay. Done. You took them off right then and there. So, yeah. You're like, sure. On the phone in yeah. Italy, I just got in. naked. Let's do this.
4: <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this book came out in 2009.
3: Yeah, it took a long time, the project. I shot in 04, and yeah, five years later. Cool. But they had lots of different athletes in it. So kind of a, a neat deal and uh, neat cause to to be a part of. Elton John AIDS Foundation is a unique foundation in that 96%, I think, is the percentage of monies donated goes through to research and to support uh, efforts to cure AIDS not a whole bunch of overhead, which is very common with many foundations. There's a lot of overhead that gets taken out of any kind of donation of course. And, and fundraising. Well, and if our listeners want to see Nude Kevin, Anderson
4: and low Champions. There you go. To benefit Elton John Aids Foundation, look it up. Yeah. yeah, now that we've talked about being naked for the last
3: uh, little while here. I
4: just want to point out that our photo shoot we had recently, there was no nudes. You did take your shirt off at one
3: point. <laughs> yeah, for the uh, but there were no the, there the were the no no nude photos. For the faux photos, yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a short break here on the Net Live. We're going to be right back with Albert Hanneman. Should be a great discussion about his efforts with the NBL for the past few years, the future of that effort, and how he feels about the increased competition and space surrounding beach volleyball. It's the Net Live on a Monday volleyball magazine the only print publication covering all aspects of the sport you love vbm has been publishing the latest in volleyball news for over 35 years with exclusive photo galleries player interviews event coverage product reviews and volleyball specific health and fitness advice volleyball magazine is a great resource for players and fans of all levels Now with an even more robust online presence, check out VolleyballMag.com to subscribe and find exclusive web content and articles. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, Volleyball Mag is the industry's number one volleyball magazine. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, Will. Welcome back to the Net Live. And, Jeremy, thanks for playing something I have no idea uh, where it is, what it is, who it is. It's not Stevie Wonder, so you're good. No clue. Hope you're getting our program via iTunes. It is available for free. Zero dollars for those on iTunes. Free. 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 Interesting. Yeah, you can listen in, or you can listen here live each, most Monday. Today's Tuesday, obviously, but most Mondays you can listen in. I had to work yesterday over there at Fox Sports West getting ready for the high school football season. Awesome should be a lot of fun. I actually saw Mackenzie Marlowe. Nice. That would be Chris Marlowe's daughter. She's Excellent. doing an internship out there at Fox Sports West. So pretty cool. There's a volleyball relation to she want, everything I do. Does she point. want to follow in her father's footsteps? She's actually been doing a lot of editing. She wants okay. to be in TV. Uh, I think she wants to be in the broader world of television, like drama television. Yep. Uh, but she's getting valuable experience, getting paid, and learning a lot about TV over there at Fox Sports West this summer. Really cool uh, Summer, way to spend your summer. No doubt. If you're a young person wanting to get into the entertainment industry. If you're a young person. If you're a young person, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Mackenzie Marlowe over there. That was a lot of fun. I'll actually be reprising my role with Chris Marlowe on the beach. Coming up for the Moscow Open. So, Chris Marlowe invaded my world of the indoor. Now, I will invade his world of beach. What happens when Marlowe shows up to, like, Modo? Ooh, wouldn't that be weird? Yeah, drink, by the way. I like when my moto guy shows up to volleyball, Jim Holly. That's funny. He shows up at, at volleyball events. He's all fired up. He's got to like it, right? Uh-huh. He's got to like it. Oh, yeah. He had a great time. No, it, It's it's fun as a sporting person to go and live in another world and experience some of these other places. It's part of the fun of being an announcer and trying to get out of just doing volleyball is the opportunity oh, of course. to experience other sports and see the similarities and the differences of course. in those sports. I would think it would grow you as a... Uh broadcaster as well oh 100 percent. because you have to get out of your comfort zone actually it's sometimes for play-by-play it makes you better because i have a hard time sometimes asking questions in volleyball
4: because you I already know, know the answer i know most of the answers yeah,
3: of course you know so you have to be very deliberate about asking questions of your analyst and that's one of the one of the jobs of the play-by-play is to ask questions of the analyst so they can add context to the broadcast yeah and uh, I, I think i'm better at that one i don't know what's happening because you want to know the answer Yeah. I find that happens on this
4: show a lot. I want to know the answers, especially about indoor stuff, so I just ask you. Perfect. And I don't – it's not for the
3: listeners. It's more for me. (laughs) The listeners get a – Yep. A benefit, a side benefit. Correct. All right. We have our guy? We do. I'm not sure how to go through his entire resume in just one song. (laughs) We have three minutes in this track. Good luck. (laughs) Albert Hanneman played volleyball for 65 years as a professional player. Has an incredible level of experience with different tours, different events, different iterations. A man who has never been shy about promoting himself and promoting the sport. When things went down in 2010, he thought, here is an opportunity. And he started the NVL, the National Volleyball League. They have been holding events since 2010. And they continue to hold events this year. We've had him on this show several times to talk about the business of volleyball, and we are welcoming him back once again to continue our conversation. Albert Hammond, welcome to the Net Live.
2: Wait, hold on. Hey, guys.
3: There he is. Hey, guys. All right, now, Albert, I I have a a bone to pick with you, first of all. Right off the top. Here we go. I'm on the stairs down to the Long Beach Open. You just, I'm talking to Brittany Hochaver, and you blew right by me. I was going to say hi, and you were just on a mission.
2: <laughs> he leagued you, huh? He big
3: leagued me. Get used to it, Kevin. Damn it. Who were you with? You know, with there, I, I, I,
5: I was with my daughter. She, she's she got a kid's first uh, rank over you. Sorry, Bernie. Dang.
3: Well, okay. I can't argue with that. There's no way I can argue you with that. You wanted to see her Jeremy playing top. Yeah, that's right. Huh? She wanted to see me playing her songs. Oh well, all right, understood. All right, so you win on that one. Good job, uh, NBL this year, Albert. Give us an update on how the season has gone.
5: Uh, it's going great. We uh, we started in Texas and had um, a great a great first tournament there um, in Dallas at a, uh, a volleyball bar. Um, had a ton of players out there. The level was a lot higher than we expected, but a lot of the normal teams got. Uh, upset by the local teams that apparently have been training a little bit longer than our guys, but it was really exciting and, uh, you know, got to see Summer Ross and Morgan Miller win that one, and then uh, Josh Benstock and Sam from uh, Canada played for the, the Olympic team for Canada. They ended up winning the men's final, so it was really exciting.
2: Uh,
5: we were in Ohio a couple weeks ago at our water park partner for three years. Um, it's called The Beach, in nation Ohio, and they built a permanent facility out there, and uh, it's perfect, perfect uh, situation. We partnered with uh, Ohio Valley Region, which has over 20,000 kids playing. It's the biggest region in the U.S., which was a shocker, and one of the main reasons why we wanted to be in Ohio, had the kids playing alongside the pros, live stream, like, real events, and the kids got to be interviewed, and all the parents and families were in the water park. And, and so I've always wanted to see happen, and it was nice to have that partnership with, uh, out of that region to, to make that happen uh, there's awesome. To you know, play volleyball and go down a big water slide it's something that I think uh, everybody really enjoys, you know, typical NBL fashion, doing out of the box, and uh, a way to get the kids and parents involved. So
3: was, uh, if, if you could play volleyball while profession. going down the water slide, that would be something, no doubt. That would be if you could, like, bump set spike while going down yeah, the three-hump Dragon's Tail. That would be awesome.
5: I have a picture, Barney, I'll send you of your boy Riley. Yeah, glorious carrying the ball down the water side the
3: I think I saw that one. Yeah. That is awesome. I love that. Well, hey, you mentioned some of the strategic partnerships and some of the unique things that you guys are doing. What have you found that works well with partnerships and, and bringing in different aspects of different events, and what hasn't worked over the last three years? Well, think,
5: uh, uh, you guys sitting in echo, or you guys yourself?
3: Now we can solve that. Hold on. Go ahead.
5: Okay, I know you're good at this. Um, uh, you, know, you know, our focus on the grassroots and the underbelly of the sport is really what's what's made us different. And I think having a sustainable model. You know, we're working with AAU, USAB, JBA, ABCA, all, all the biggest organizations from juniors and and coaches and you know, it, it it really opens up the door for a lot of
2: uh,
5: younger demographic sponsors that are involved now, and uh, you know, just just having a, a real focus and having Ross, you know, Ross Volleyball, i are really really excited about this partnership, and they're, and they're making beautiful sure so 800 teams in the U.S. It's pretty much has got us to to lock down the junior side of the sport. Just great people, and you know, they're they have the same goals and. As passionate as we are about, it, you know, being ex players as well, they're just a really good company. So those, those partnerships are, are great, and um, you know, we want to keep keep growing it through the junior side, you know, where we're, we're going to have a lot more junior events, and uh, where the cities want to bring in the pros, we'll, we'll add pro events. And one of the biggest things is being able to help the pros make more money by, you know, paying them to come out early and do clinics for these kids and just help grow in the game and now, that way they can they can count on making a lot more money be, before they even get on the court. We're we'll do a lot of that on the indoor and outdoor through the off season uh, with Rocks and Mikasa and you know, it just kinda gives it more of a opportunity for the players not to have to go and take other jobs. That's kind of biggest fear of losing these great athletes, you know, because there's just not enough opportunity out there.
3: Yeah, I think that's been a big issue when we have worried about two kind of a, people talk about a brain drain when it comes to different areas of technology or other, other areas of the professional world. I think we're talking about a, a talent drain here in the sport of volleyball because of the lack of opportunity. It seems like, though, the growth area in volleyball has really been the juniors. This looks like an opportunity for you and looks like something that you have started to take advantage of. Are you shifting your focus at all towards juniors?
5: Well we are. Um, you know, we still wanna have that pro platform so the kids can wanna, you know, follow their um you know, their heroes out there on the court. And that that's what's really nice about the live streaming that we're doing is that you know the families are now watching players or, or pro athletes that they may not have, have, have known otherwise. So, you know, while their kids are playing in the next match is a semi, you know, for the for the pros, they're they're really getting to know the millions of players and by bringing them out um early, you know, we're exposing them to these, you know, new opportunities so they, they can really, uh, you know, grow a brand for themselves. I mean, that's just, it, it's huge for them. And uh, like you said, I mean, it, it's all about the, the juniors right now. And, you know, with collegiate getting as big as it is, and, you know, that, that, that's what we really want to, you know, have, have a, a focus on, you know, giving these kids somewhere not only to play, but to help develop them on their way.
3: All right. When it comes to professional tour running, is that going to remain a big part of your business? I know you say you need that aspirational side, but do you do you want to remain with the pro t- side of things? Are you committed to that, or will at some point will you shift completely to juniors because of the business opportunity? No, 100%. We're going
5: to stay. You know, we're still a professional tour, international golf organization. We're, the League, we're probably one the biggest, amazing events, and the players love them, and the fans love them. And- you know, I, I just I, I want to keep that going and get the opportunity to run more events with it, to the heading on the junior side. So I think it's beef up each other. You know, we're going to um, do some pretty big things next year. Um outside of that, but uh, it's, you know, it's going a lot more opportunities, especially for
2: events,
5: opportunities for players. I'm in Miami right now and um, just, you know, with the Port St. at the club, that's one of their cities partners and sponsors now, which is really huge for so we had have our, it's going to be the only beach volleyball academy in the U.S., and
2: you we're know, going to 24
5: courts, and we were down there breaking ground the last couple of days, and it's just really exciting what we're going to do not only domestically, but internationally. I getting a lot of calls from the international coaches, wanting to bring the kids down and bring their FIVD teams down, and not having to go all the way to California, Having an actual facility that has everything from the nutrition to trainers, you know, the, the perfect courts, the you know, they have their, their walking distance, from everything you need, video analysis, the coaching. It's, just, it's a huge opportunity. We'll have 40 there. We're already talking our about hosting an event there and possibly an IVB event. So it gives us that, that different international uh, you know, ability with the that brand. It's, it's really a huge, big opportunity for us.
3: In 2010, when things collapsed, it seemed like a lot of opportunity, and and we heard a lot of talk about cooperation to bring the beach back in 2011. Now it seems like 2013, there's more competition. When the AVP announced its schedule that was partially on top of yours, did you view that as kind of a shot across the bow and and a power grab in the world of beach volleyball?
2: Well...
5: I loved the ADP when I played for them. I mean, it was, it was the only thing, you know, and, and I went through three different banks and, and they did a lot of great things and they did a lot of things that, um, you know, didn't work and one being the model that they had was never going to work. I don't see any difference with the new regime and I think, you know, that they're pretty much the same management and unfortunately, um, you know, they're, they're clearly going after us and, and you know, everything that we're trying to do shouldn't be the rest to them, but it should grow the sport. And it should grow, you know, the athlete's ability to play more tournaments and, you know, feel things for themselves. And, and hopefully they can live what they love. Uh, they see it differently. They feel that yes, so, um, they want to be in the sport. we don't. you feel like that there's, there's players there for, for you know, but, and all the different from others that are doing a great job. across the country you know, you know, from C B D A Big Beach in Florida, Wapaka, Popsdown, Mother Road. You know, there's so many guys out there on you know, the street up in Walking, some great great promoters. Um,
2: you know,
5: that deserve that, that to have the right to have these players go and play wherever they want and you kinda turn their the dial here and forcing these players to have to do things like
2: this. You know, I I just we just keep pushing forward. I mean I, I really feel like our, our
5: Try to work something out. And it returned no phone calls. It had no effort in trying to reach out and make this a
3: and live here on Volleyball Magazine. And, Albert, if you could move somewhere a little quieter. We're getting a lot of background noise. We'd like to hear everything you have to say here. I am not. I know you're in Miami for a, a Club Med Academy event. Uh, but my question with the AVP and, and with the lack of cooperation that you're getting would be surrounding the the player contracts. There's been a, a lot of, I guess, rancor in the volleyball world about the fact that there are exclusive player contracts out there. Once again, this is not a new item. What has the effect of that contract been upon participation in your event?
5: Uh, let me. I'm, I'm in the airport actually, Bernie, So sorry about that. If you guys did a little bit better now, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah.
3: Right. yeah that's that's much better. better. Right. Okay, great.
5: I, I just looked at the slide, and I must most stuff here. Um, you know, what we had players do in Dallas was to sign a players' agreement, which you know, every every tour every event or tour operator should have players sign them. Um, obviously, there's things that players need to do, you know, in order to for event operators to have a successful event. So you have player agreements. It's pretty standard in, in any way. But um, we had our athletes sign an agreement, and one of the clauses was that they would not sign um, another agreement that would, you know, restrict them from playing in any future NBL events. And... Really prohibit them from participating in any NBL events, but more so having the choice to do whatever they want. Um, that was, you know, a a big deal for us because we feel that you know unless you have a, a, a Crocs, for example, back in the day, I mean, they're they're giving seven million dollar sponsorship, six seven million dollar sponsorship. I mean, and they say you need to have every player, uh, you know, sign for us to come on board. If there was a situation like that. Um, it changes It changes everything, and, you know, that's not the case. I mean, they, there's there's no sponsors for them. They're not um, communicating anything that's going on. They're just being really aggressive, and, you know, I'm good friends with a lot of the guys that, that did sign the contract, um, you know, that are apparently, you know, being paid for their services to, you know, promote uh, for them, but, um, you know, we, we had to go, and because our events were, you know, back... June, July, we had every player sign the agreement that they all agreed. You know, we don't want to sign an exclusive contract. You know, they don't they don't know what we're doing next year in the next ten years. So, you know, they don't know what else is going to be available for them to play in their local tournaments. And uh, you know that that the ADP contract restricts all of that. So, you know, they sent out an email last week saying that you know they can players can rest assured that they're. You know, that, that the ADP will not find them to play exclusively only for the ADP, um, which makes me nervous because in the contract they say you can play in FIVB and ADP, but they don't recognize anyone else, especially the NBL as, as you know, an opportunity for them to play. Um, and you know, it's a four-year contract. It's just these guys' careers are too important. With how big the sport is right now, you know, it, there's just so much opportunity out there. And, I'm just worried as a player, you know. I mean, I played forever, like you said, Barney. I played for 73 years, and
2: right, <laughs> you know,
5: I have a lot, a lot of experience in this. And um, you know, back when there was no other tour, you know, we, there were, you know, over 20 million dollars in, in, in sponsorship revenue. And, you know, we were happy to sign whatever there was because there was nothing else. And now it's, you know, it's, it's great for players that there are, you know, two tours out there fighting to, to give them somewhere to play um i just you know i just don't like the way that they're going about it and how they're forcing players to corner and you know i'm getting phone calls every day all day about what can they do and you know they don't they don't agree with this and our legal team has been pretty um you know amazing on, on what we need to do to to you know make sure the players do have their rights protected and you know we're we're happy i know they don't they can't afford to have a PR nightmare, and I, I'm hoping that Donald and his team can figure out that, uh, you know, that they need to be fair to the players. And the players have a voice and they have power, you know. It doesn't matter if you're not Kerry Walsh and, and you know, Bill house I mean, if you lose, you know, 10, 20, 30 players because they don't feel this is fair, that's a big deal. And that, that's, you know, that's hurting the growth of the sport.
3: Right. Have you been forced to take legal action against the EVP?
5: We have. Um, we had our team reach out to them again, and, you know, we haven't had any response. Um, and, you know, now we're uh, – we, we had our guys write a letter, and now we're looking at what our next steps need to be, um, as all of the players did, you know, that already competed in our events, did sign agreements that they would not sign an exclusive contract that restrict them from playing in the NBL. The ADP wants to dictate where they play. Um, you know, they have to ask for dispensation to play in anything. Um, and it's not good enough because they can, you know, say, well, we don't think you guys can play there, so sorry, but you're not going to be able to play. And that's, that's wrong. Players should have that right. And, again, like I said, I think it's it's absolutely, um, you know, it, it's important that every tour operator does have a player's agreement because you need to, you know, have standards and what you need players to, to be able to do, and that's their own choice. But, you know, like I said, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of opp- there's a lot of opportunity out there for players. You know, we're 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 doing all we can to make this you know a special tour for you know the development of the sport and for players to be um, to be able to continue to be the best in the world.
3: Albert, did you sign this player agreement when you were playing for the AVP back around 2008 or so? Um,
5: I did. I did sign. Um, I think I signed probably 10 contracts in a year. The playing there was always something coming out for you know, because you know, they had to have all the players to be able to I mean they had a lot of events you know I mean I played in I think 22 events there was a lot of prizes There's a lot of sponsorship so that was the basis of having a contract it's not, uh, you know there was no for it so I mean who would have thought that IMG and USAB would be, to, you know, be out of the business and the was doing so that well. I and mean, it's definitely you not know, you know, we're hanging in there and we're, we're still, uh, we're doing well, but, you know, like I said, this is a really tough topic, man. I think you guys should ask the players about it as well and see what they think, you know, because it's, it's going to happen next week is, you know, they're going to go to Utah and players are staying in Hermosa and, you know, it's going to be a, a an interesting situation to see what happens and I really hope that ADP backs off on this issue
2: and lets players, you know,
5: play where they want to play. I mean, we're not even telling players it's, there's a conflicting event that you have to play in our event, and that's not what we're about. We're we're trying to just open it up that they can play where they choose to play. And, you know, therefore being able to, to create the careers that they want
3: yeah, it's definitely a difficult uh, world to navigate, not only for tour promoters, but also for people trying to become professional players or established professional players even are having a hard time. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, given that Riley Salmon has come up, was there any discussion about Riley Salmon's recent suspension from international competition due to a couple of doping violations? And what, if any, internal discussions went on with you guys as far as his participation with your brand?
5: No, actually, I had no idea about that. Um, I, I, all I know about Riley is that he's he's come to our first two events. He's, you know, brought his gold medal to in, in every single clinic. Mean, I think we had five clinics in a children's hospital visit in Dallas and the same in Ohio. And he's a great ambassador. I mean, he really grows the sport in that sense. I, I don't know. I, I I know he's not playing indoor anymore. Um, he's just trying to, you know, get as much mileage out of that old body that he can.
3: Yeah, Riley Salmon, one of the original road warriors, even before his time with the national team, he was a volleyball assassin, would go all over the United States playing in tournaments and uh, taking down whatever cash prize they had to offer. It seems like he's kind of back to some of that role, but uh, his, his two violations of drug policy, not really performance enhancing necessarily, more related to kind of prescription medications that... Uh, he was taking for other health issues, not for recreational. So Not an A-Rod issue. No, not an A-Rod issue, and we will get to that later in this program. Uh, we understand that you know something about another player that has been participating in a little b- bit of beach volleyball. I think this player has won 17 events in a row, and heckle the legend is what we heard.
5: <laughs> uh it classic. Yeah, um, my kid, Maya Hanneman, is uh, not only Jeremy's, Number one fan, but uh, she is, is is having a lot of fun out on the beach. She's got a great little partner, Mandalay, um, Brennan, who they just play so well together. They're just like little raptors out there running around. Perfect ball control. Um, they're really fun to watch. And since and Randy kept asking me, you know, when when their number was getting closer to fifteen, they didn't want them to beat their record. and They actually beat it in Ohio. Took them to Ohio and they played on the twelve numbers and. Unders, and it was really cute. She was just happy to take a picture with Cindy and talk to her about their success. It's just nice to see how much love uh, you know, for the sport that they have. and They're just
3: having so much fun. It. Very cool. Well, Albert Hammond, best of luck with the NVL. We'll continue to follow your progress and, and the business of running a tour. We appreciate your efforts on behalf of the sport of volleyball. Thanks for spending some time with us again today.
5: Yeah, thanks, guys. Love the show. Love what you're doing and uh, appreciate all your support.
3: Cool. Thanks, Albie. Albert Hammond, Checking care, in from Miami from the airport where he is. Uh... Is he on his way or coming back? I think he's on his way back. On his way back from the Club med. Let's check in with somebody else. It's, uh, uh No, he's uh, uh, he's gone. He, he dove him. out of there? I told him to hold on, and then he left. He's just taunting us. Chris Geter McGee was <laughs> allegedly in the queue. He was in the queue, although at the same time as another guest. Correct. We can't get to him, and now he's gone away. What can you do? God, he'll call gear. back
4: if, if he really wants to talk to us. Well, we'll, we'll keep our eye on Or maybe he heard about the nude photo, so he didn't want. To
3: call <sighs> maybe that's why he called. I don't know. Hey, where can I get some of those taken? Hmm? I want to preserve preserve the uh, the legacy for Jess. Yeah, uh, interesting stuff there with Albert, and not knowing the details of the player contracts. Yep. Tough for me to pass any judgment on validity or usefulness or the effect of the game. Tough for me to really know. I know there's been a lot of controversy for years on this topic going all the way back to 2006-2007 period with the initial player contracts that were coming down from, at that point, uh, Leonard Armato and the AVP. Trying to bind players into playing the AVP events versus FIVB events. I mean, Correct. this is something that stretches way,
4: way back. Oh, it, contracts is not new, new to beach volleyball. It's not new to sports. Period.
3: Well, what they're trying to do is they're trying to lock up the talent. If you think of the AVP or any particular professional tour as perhaps a professional team, right, or a or a brand. You want to lock up your marquee players. You want to be sure that you can sell to sponsors the participation of those marquee players. Correct. And that's no different than Major League Baseball or the NFL, that you want to have those athletes guaranteed to participate if they are healthy. And I understand that idea. The problem becomes when there are multiple leagues that are, are of similar level or similar value, Yep. and you as a player are trying to choose what is the best opportunity for you, when the promoter doesn't have your best interest in mind, but has their best interest in mind.
4: Well, don't all promoters have their best interest in mind? Because they're the they're ones... They're running a business. They're, that's that's my point. Um, yeah, I mean, this... I haven't really... The We'll be honest about this. The players that I've heard complain about this aren't the ones that would be... How should I, how should I word this? They're not the top players. So there's an easy way to word it. Yeah, they're not the ones that are going to be winning tournaments at this point anyway. You could also make the argument, well, how am I going to get better unless I play the top teams? Well, then you need to be winning the lower tournaments, and then you can have that argument. You win those lower tournaments on a consistent basis, and you're like, I deserve to play against those top teams, then you can, then you have a little bit more to stand on at that point. Um, it's all business out there. I mean, it's just –
3: it is a difficult world to
4: navigate. Yeah, I mean, I think you can hear in both of our voices, like, the negativity in the volleyball world, especially, obviously, Beach is just, it's exhausting at this point. I think for everybody. I think not only us. I think for Albert. I'm sure for Donald. I'm sure for USAV. I'm sure for whoever. Cuervo, All the players, Yeah, I'm sure for everybody. It's just for the sponsors, the fans. I mean, the, here's what, the bottom line is the fans want to see quality volleyball. That's what they want to see, and they... And, and, you know, they deserve that, and I want them to have that, whatever that is, however that works out. Um, you know, like you and I have said on the show before, regardless our opinions or how we feel about leagues, players, USAV, whoever, we still want the best for the sport, period. I want volleyball to be around in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I don't think I'll be around longer than that.
3: <laughs> so after I'm gone, I can do whatever. It's going to exist. The question is what level. I'm looking at some of the player pictures here, and it seems like Stafford Slick would have some naked photos just based on his well, sepia How did, how did we photo. go
4: back to that all
3: of a sudden? I don't know. But I, And Ryan Mariano, too. He's got the sepia going here along with Matt Olson. I don't know. Sepia filter. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we want... Uh, we want the sport to succeed. The question is how. And honestly, if if I'm Albert right now, if I'm Albert, with my limited amount of of knowledge as to what exactly is happening, you're currently in, in a Miami field, airport. If you're Albert, I'm <laughs> Albert. But it, just looking at his schedule and hearing about some of the events he has going on, and the outreach and the the juniors things, and and the other information I have about juniors' growth throughout the United States, particularly in the southeast and in the west. If I'm Albert, I go where the money is. The money right now is club. That is where the most money is being generated in the sport of volleyball, and beach is growing. The idea of beach club volleyball is growing quickly.
4: Isn't that where USAV pretty much makes their money?
3: USAV makes a lot of money on club, and they, are, and they have
4: memberships and stuff like that, too, right? right?
3: Yeah. But they are increasingly doing programming for beach players at the club level, at yeah. the juniors level. If I'm Albert, I do the smart thing and go where the money is. I abandon the the dream of owning professional volleyball, of making professional volleyball something, of saving the sport of professional volleyball and rebuilding it. I think that's a huge, huge task.
4: Well, look, he gets full credit for being the first one to dive back in after
3: 2010. Oh, he's on it. Yep, He was on it, but it's not a great situation. It's a tough business. It's a tough business model in today's climate. And you heard to talk about the AVP and how they haven't changed the model. We've said we're concerned about that. Yeah. I, I I mean we'll see
4: we'll see if they've changed nothing. They haven't done anything. We haven't seen what they've we haven't seen what they're gonna do yet, so we don't know what they've changed or what they haven't changed.
3: I have on some pretty good authority. That Donald Sun paid two million dollars to purchase the AVP. Yeah,
4: I thought he does said that when he came on the show the first time. I don't know that
3: he named a number. Oh, okay. That seems high. First of all, to me, it seems really high for what was there, but that's not my not my expertise for sure. Um, the other the other thing is that last year he lost three and a half million dollars. That was the number that I've heard thrown around. Okay. So yeah, man, that's five and a half million bucks.
4: Yeah. How are you going to get that back? Five and a half million more than I have.
3: And what about this year? Are you in the positive this year?
4: Well, like we said before, any new business that starts up. Like is the NBL making money? Maybe. At this point, but they've also
3: been around longer. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. That would have been a good question. We should have thought of that. back, I should have called back. On the, uh... <laughs> was McGee on hold for 20 minutes? No.
4: He's claiming 20 minutes. If he was in the queue, he heard that we were talking to Albert, so he should know. That he could
3: wait. But what else is he doing right
4: now? Is he going to play golf?
3: He has an appointment with Millie. Millie can call in. And then later he'll probably be out golfing Pebble Beach or he'll be in Tahoe or he'll be at some Bahia Resort or something in San Diego. He'll be somewhere luxurious. <laughs> or he'll be at the Los Angeles Emmys with Big big Game James big and his Game wife. James. Nice, huh? I see a lot of photos of Geeter just being big time. He and Jess. He, Geter deserves it. Let's put it that way. Oh, no doubt. But 20 minutes? I don't think it was 20 minutes. Maybe that's Geter time. He bills at a rate higher than actual Let's just, time.
4: let's throw this out here right now. We've known Geter before he was big time. So he should not be leaguing us. You know what I'm saying? No, I, don't
3: I don't think he's leaguing Know
4: us. your roots. Know where you came from. Know the people that helped get you to where you are today. Don't league us. Okay? But fear not, Kevin. Once I start touring the world, I'm going to league you too. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's
3: just be honest about all that. Uh, all right. Well, let's take a short break here on the show, and we come back. We're gonna we're gonna have Jeremy Rocher's very first solo interview effort. Just he and Jake Gibb out in the sand, holding hands on a Saturday.
4: A nice little walk, stroll down the beach. Daisy's flying. Yeah. And when I say holding hands, I mean, like, I had to put my hand straight up above my head to be able to hold his hand because he's so much taller than me. <laughs> the two of you, like,
3: this past weekend has really just crushed my uh,
4: my um, confidence in how tall I actually am.
3: Wait till the photos come out. I'm going to look like an ogre. You're going to look like donkey. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not going to look like donkey. I'm just going to look short. I'm gonna look like a, I'm going to look like pick a me. short,
4: cool guy. That's what it's going to look like, a short Cool guy. That's what my photos are going to look like.
3: I mean, I said you look like a donkey, but let's be honest. I'm an ogre. I'm big and green. That's not good either.
4: You know, It's not working
3: out for either one of photos, us. At like, least you're funny.
4: When they say they add 10 pounds, like you looked, there was one photo you looked huge in. And not like, I'm fat, I'm big. Like, just like you are an athlete, and I'm standing next to you, Like I need to hit the gym a little bit more. I was taking up space. Yeah, you were taking up a lot of space. All
3: right. Well, we'll hear your vocal stylings when we come back. Jake Gibb and Jeremy Roche from Saturday. Of course, Jake Gibb coming off the win there at the World Series of Beach Volleyball. More to come here on the Net Live on a Tuesday. back to the Net Live here on Tuesday morning, So Southern you know, California. You know the song. I know the song. I don't know who does it. That. Oh, that's
4: fine, but you know the song. You yeah. recognize it. Yeah, that's I've so heard it. the song. Who is it? Progress. Uh, Phoenix.
3: Phoenix, that's right. Well, you know, I got the wife here.
4: Between you and the wife, I'm actually staying up on music. Phoenix apparently really had a great uh, ending performance capping the show, Lollip of the this past
3: weekend. From all oh, that's the cool. The yeah. wife's going to Atlas Genius. Nice. They come out here. Cool. It's supposed to be good. She's going to something else, too. Oh, Zac Brown Band. I wanted to go to that one.
4: I wanted to. But I'm working on a Friday. ZZ Ward is an artist that you all should look up. She performed at the Hermosa Beach free concert series yeah. over the weekend, and I would have loved to have been there, but I had a gig. But Nicole went, so she was great. Sounded just like she does on her album. She sounded that way live, which is always my concern. Right. Because if I hear you live and you don't sound at least somewhat like you do on your album, then I'm not into you anymore. Then
3: you're Rebecca Black.
4: You're, yeah, you're J Lo. <laughs> J Lo
3: heavily produced,
4: 100%. That worked though. She's a performer, and that, yeah, that that's, worked. I'm not. I'm not mad at that. Lasers and she could probably dresses and whatnot. Here's the thing: Rihanna can sing, but some of the songs that are on the radio, she can't sing because they're not in the proper key for her. So she can't sing them live. She sounds awful singing them live. Gotcha. So there are other songs that she'll sing because it's in her range. She sounds great. Just because you can sing doesn't mean you can sing the
3: entire range
4: of notes. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Does that make perfect sense to you? Okay. We now, go. we
3: had a performance at Long Beach by a Volvo player, did we not?
4: Julian Fawcett? Yeah. She was great. How'd she do? I thought she was great.
3: I uh, She was dancing as well as singing
4: at the same time, but she was actually singing. I would have liked to, for her to project her voice a little bit more. Okay. But I could take... Like Pavarotti? Well, like anything, like you need to sing from... Your diaphragm, and not from your throat, and not that she was singing from her. Throat. I sing high
3: falsetto, yeah. like, um, uh, uh, Journey. Yeah, I'm singing high falsetto from the throat. Is nice. that good? No, not good. <laughs> Mary J. Blige sings from her throat. That's why
4: she her voice sounds raspy like that. Okay. Um, but to and I don't know how she's able to push her voice the way she does because you would think that she would just ruin her throat at this point. Um, but Julian, 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 Julian Fawcett? Yes, she. Uh, no, she could sing. I just live. I would like she needs to be able to push it out a little bit more.
3: We need to get her in studio singing a little bit. We need you get her in the house, I'll make it happen. Hitting it, hitting the notes. Let's get to your uh, to your interview here. My, my Jake Spiker Gibb interview. Yeah, let's uh, let's hear from Jake Spiker Gibb. And, and Before, now, now, remember, I'm not going to go ahead. Pay attention to Jake Spiker Gibb and what he says because you're a Volvo fan, you're interested. Yep. Also, pay attention to Jeremy's chops here. Let's figure out what he's I, learned. Because I'm going to DJ a Clipper game this year, and then we're going to see—you know—we're going to compare notes.
4: 100% guarantee you, I'm a better interviewer than you would be a DJ. I what? Just throw. Oh,
3: one. All you got to do is press the button. Oh like, no, Kevin! I'm, I'm like Homer Simpson when I get replaced by a chicken. We could have a chicken over in your man. spot just hitting the button. Oh man. We just got to teach the chicken. We have to put the little feed on like the X or something or whatever it is you press over here. <laughs> is the chicken going to know what song to play when? As long as the the feed is on the right button, sure. <sighs> I'm really, I'm
4: not, I, might, I might leave this. I might not play. Can I mute you so you can't hear the interview, but everybody else can? Play your interview. Let's go. God. Before I do this, let's just throw out here that this is good, not going to be a recurring thing. This is not my – when you brought me into the show is to play music, not to be interviewing guests. Okay? True, That's true.
3: Just, then everybody else quit. You're the only one left. So you can't <laughs> quit now. It'll be just me. There's and the, nobody else here. This show will go downhill quickly. All right. Jake Specker-Gibb.
4: DJ Roche here with Jake Gibb in Huntington Beach. Uh, I had to come down because Jake had been ducking me for a couple months to come on the show. So I came to him. Let's let's talk about this first. I've heard stories of your partner in practice acts like he does in matches. But now I've seen it for the first time. What was your first impression when you saw that for yourself?
0: Well, the only thing he doesn't do in practice is dance as much. But, yeah, he... Uh I, I sometimes wonder if people want to practice with us because uh, he, he tell, he's told told a lot of people to suck it.
2: So
0: <laughs> I'm not sure how that goes over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, he's like he can't not talk Does that make sense? He can't not talk trash. How about that? So we can re- perfect.
4: No, we we'll, we can say another show. It's been said before. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: We We uh, we've had Casey on a couple of times
4: talking about your guys' partnership. What were your expectations? When you started the season, going into it, like, okay, here's how our season is going to go.
0: Uh, my expectations were a lot lower than we what we achieved. I mean, to be honest with you, I, we were preseason, we were getting smashed by teams, I and mean, we were really, it wasn't pretty. Like I was, I was kind of panicked. I was like, oh boy, you gotta make the right choice. Yeah, partners. yeah. I mean, it was like it wasn't gelling, and and uh, but what I came to realize our first tournament was that he's Casey's a gamer. You know what I mean? Like, wh- like we were trying to work out so many things where I was, we were trying to run a defense that me and Rosie ran for seven years, and it just wasn't working. You know, he's a different defender. He's he's more he he's a guy that reads really well. He's not a guy that holds on defense and then just runs stuff down. You know what I mean? So he's um uh we had to kind of you know that's where our coach Tyler Hildebrand came in and and ste- he stepped in and he's like listen we got to run some different defenses. This, this, we're, not a guy, we're not a team that's just going to block a line 90% of the time and, and dig defense and run down line shots. That's just not us. So um, we made some alterations, and, and uh, it's, it's worked out. And talk about Tyler, too. He's not
4: necessarily a guy that people associated with the beach, and now he's out here coaching you guys, and I've heard he's going to be helping out April and Jen on the road now as well. How did that come about?
0: Yeah, Tyler – well, Tyler had worked with us a little bit with Mike Dodd last year, me and Rosie, um, and, and, you know, I really liked him. What I didn't know about Tyler is how smart he is. He kind of comes across as a, kind of a meathead, just a, <laughs> a party or just good times guy and, and a great guy to hang out with. But when, when I sat down with him and he, and, and he br- started breaking stuff down, I was like, I'm, this guy is, you know, I think the – Genius card is is thrown around way too much, so I'm not going to use that. But he's he is incredibly smart yeah. and 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 uh, has done an amazing job. Awesome.
4: And uh, Casey was talking about Rich Lamborn came in was helping with his passing and stuff like that. How did he get part of the team as well?
0: Yeah, Rich uh, just started showing up and we couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> just no, Rich was awesome. We uh, um, he was willing to to help us out and and. Uh, he, he's been awesome. I mean, he's been amazing to help Casey with his passing and, and defense. And, and uh, Rich is, you know, he's he's a smart guy. He knows not to step in where he doesn't he, he doesn't feel comfortable, right? I mean, he's played some beach, but uh, he – so he works a lot on mechanics. Yeah. And, and he does a good job with it. Nice. Uh the beginning of the year when you and Casey partnered up, I
4: said on our shows, like they're going to have an up-and-down season like any new partnership does. But you guys have started out the year really well. I mean – I think first, second, third place finishes, all top
0: 10 finishes this year so far for you guys, right? Uh, we had 117, but 17th. yeah, so it's been crazy. The thing that I've learned is that the cool thing is that we can beat anybody. We beat every great team on, on the FIVB tour, and that's awesome. Um, what I also learned is that we can lose to anybody, and that's kind of <laughs> scary. But, uh, so we have to be on our game, and we both have to bring a lot of fire to to. To keep up, you know, and uh, to compete. So it's been fun. It's been learning, and we'll have some. We'll have some more ups and ups and downs. But uh, that yeah, goes along with the territory, right, of a new partnership. Yeah. Well, beating Phil and Rosie in
4: the Long Beach event was your first time beating them, and now, like you said, I think you've beaten every big team on the international tour. So it's got to give you guys great confidence in every tournament you go into.
0: Yeah. Uh, what you know? Speaking of that uh, World Series tournament, I, what I've learned about Casey is you put a lot of money on the line. The kid balls like it. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, you, you always say ah, I don't. I don't play for the money. I play for the luck. That kid must play for the money. Cause he, <laughs> I mean, when there's a lot of money on the line. He just all of a sudden just careers. He doesn't want to go back to Puerto Rico again. He <laughs> no, he doesn't want to put gym shoes on ever again. Exactly, and. Uh, and the wife would just wouldn't let it happen if it, the wifey people would regulate on him, yeah. if, you know, if things go wrong. So, no, he's, he's a gamer, and it's been fun to play with.
4: He came on last week. He was talking about your blocking in that World Series tournament. And I've, you know, I'm on stadium court, so I've seen a lot of stuff. But you took over in that match with your blocking. You literally could have sat down in the back row. And I don't get, we don't get to see that often because your guys' matches aren't on TV. But he says that that's something that happens a lot. Do you feel like you're underrated a little bit as a blocker?
0: Well, I'm underrated by uh the T V analyst Kevin Wong. Uh every time every time he announces he acts like if I get a block it's the most surprising thing on the planet. So uh, I think outside of that, I think uh you know, I think people in the volley world know where I am and yep. you know, I know where I am, so I'm not real worried about it.
4: Look, we've talked about it on the show and kind of joke that every time you have a career season you have to switch partners.
0: Which is funny, but it's got to well, be. You don't have to switch partners; I get dumped. Yes, the, your
4: your partner switches on you. Like it's got to be a little frustrating. You just kind of got to laugh at it. But uh, I'm just gonna assume that you're hoping that that doesn't happen after this season.
0: Well, it depends. I mean, if we end the year number one for sure, I'm getting dumped, <laughs> and uh, so I've just accepted that. So I'm trying. I'm shooting for that number two spot. Uh, yeah, it's been crazy. It's a uh, you know actually, I don't know. At both times I got dumped. I got dumped for incredible players you know some of the best to to, to have played yes yeah, nice lambert it, lambert qualifier yeah lambert and phil yeah so uh you know i don't take it too hard it's uh and i don't i don't blame rosie for making that move at all because yeah. now they can have they can have the seven years we had together and 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 you know maybe maybe much better much more so uh, that was a smart move by him but um uh, yeah it's uh part of the damn (laughs) sport we play no doubt
2: (laughs) um
0: now that you guys have had some pretty good success the beginning of this year what are your expectations now for the rest of the season because i assume that they're different uh i'd say goals are just to make finals you know avp we want to make finals and and uh i think uh, you know uh, we want to win half of them you know i think uh, phil and rosie are are up there and and nick and his new partner and and uh i mean there's the well is great out there john Haydn and his new partner uh ryan and todd they're some amazing teams but uh we feel like you know that's our goal to get to the final and and uh and win half awesome well i appreciate
4: you sitting down with us even though i had to come to you instead of you coming calling in but it's okay i understand
0: and uh good luck in berlin this coming week thank you brother i'm gonna make a statement right now next time you ask me to come in i'm in guaranteed coming to the studio Oh, no. I'm oh,
4: yeah, just call. Okay, just making sure. I just want to clarify. All right, cool. Where uh, is this studio? Hold on. Redondo Beach. So uh, it's not close for you on a Monday morning. Okay. <laughs> Although, St. John came in a couple of weeks ago and sat in for, like, three hours. So I'm just saying. <laughs> three hours. Oh, dude, it was one of the most unbelievable shows we've had. That's pretty
0: amazing, yep. actually. I can't do that. Yeah, you I'll, you I'll, call you. I'll
2: call you for breakfast. You don't want me for
0: three hours. Jake <laughs> Gibb. <laughs> three hours. Yeah, we can take Jake
3: Gibb for three hours. He's pretty funny there in eight minutes. That's good stuff. Nice job. Thanks, buddy. Way to go, dude.
2: There's
3: some there's some funny stuff in there. I think being face-to-face,
4: you're going to get that camaraderie a little bit more, as opposed to over the phone, because you yeah. can't see each other's facial expressions.
3: I learned a few things. Uh, I learned that I want to play a match, so Casey will tell me to suck it. I want that to happen. I learned that Tyler Hillibrand comes across as a meathead. I, I'm <laughs> glad I wasn't the only one who felt that way. And that uh, Wong versus Gibb is going to be the the next marquee matchup on. Uh, Can't wait. Fight card. That's going to be good. Can't wait. Casey plays for the money. Well, he named his kid Cash. True that. Obviously, he's into the green. Now, funny stuff. I, I want to see if uh, Tyler Hillibrand has a certified genius card or a certified Jesus card. Which one does he carry? Like that, Wiley Coyote. Yeah. Certified genius. Certified genius. Is he carrying a certified Jesus card? (laughs) Tyler H. Hildebrandt, certified Jesus. I found it
4: funny that... uh, Because Jake had... Jake had a pick of people he could have played with at the beginning of this year, and he... Read Pretty on that list? Yeah, he chose Casey Patterson. Um,
3: And then it didn't seem like a good choice. Like
4: like. you were saying, at the beginning, they were getting smashed by people. You You know, things like that, that luckily you stick through it a little bit, and you... You have to adjust. I mean, Jake played with Rosie for seven years, so you're used to things a certain way. And you're like, okay, well, I had success with that, so I'm going to keep doing that. But it has to alter a little bit because Rosie and Casey Patterson are two different two different players. Their style a little bit. Um, so the fact that you recognize that and you're like, okay, let's switch it up. Obviously, that was a pretty good decision. And then knowing that Casey, when money's on the line, he steps up his game. You can't you can't complain about
2: that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that partnership is, is definitely one to watch. It's one of the more interesting ones because it is so even as far as size goes. Correct. Jake and Casey are quite close in size, where a lot of the other partnerships are quite different. One definite blocker. Yeah. In a pinch, Casey could block.
4: Well, and you've seen it before, like Jake either for whatever reason, isn't you know reading the hitter very well or having an off match blocking like you'll see them switch uh throw Casey up there just to give the hitters a different look, you know, not necessary for a whole match, but they'll do it you know for part of the game, and you have that you have that to go
3: to if you need it. I love the Kevin Wong comment, huh. Because this is something that strikes the, to the heart of what I do. Well, because Casey Patterson played with Kevin Wong. Yeah, and it is interesting to see how the, Casey Patterson, obviously a different player three years on, but how he's doing with Jake and having his former partner be the commentator is quite an interesting scenario. Well, it's
4: like you, you when you talk about national team guys, they're guys that you played with. Even a guy who is on this show, you get to you have to critique. I do,
3: and and I've said before on this program. We can argue about my opinion of something, my analysis of something. If I got something completely factually wrong, that's on me. But my opinion is my opinion. That's what I get paid for. Correct. Is to have an opinion. That's what this show is about, is having an opinion. And we've run into that with a few different people here, whether we're talking about the beach or talking about the national teams or an individual. Oh, we don't like that person now. Well, okay. But we're operating off facts, Most times. Sometimes we operate off complete BS. (laughs) But most times we're operating off facts and offering opinions based on facts and based on our knowledge of the situation. Mm -hmm. We're very clear that our knowledge is whatever our knowledge is. Like earlier talking about the NVL, I only know so much. Yeah. But given what I know, this is what I would do. When it comes to Kevin Wong, I don't know what's been said, but an opinion is an opinion. And you can be upset with the announcer for the opinion, or you can go out and prove the announcer completely wrong. Correct. <laughs> Do I think Jake will ignore Kevin Wong? No. No. I
2: don't think that's
4: the type of guy he is. Can it motivate Jake even more? Sure. Sure. Why not? It just be a source of irritation. Could be. And look, it's got to be hard to separate some of your playing days. And then, because I'm sure you still feel like you can play. I guarantee you Kevin Wong still feels like he can play at a high level.
3: Give me my knees
4: back, and I'll That's play what I'm tomorrow. I, I guarantee it. You know, so as an because you were an athlete first before you were a broadcaster, so you have that. Michael Jordan still thinks he can dominate
3: an NBA game. Right, give him his body back; he can do yeah. it. Yeah, you know, because you know what you figure out as you get a little older in sport, you figure out that so much of it is up here in the head. Volleyball, it's all it's in the head. Yeah, there's only so much physicality that you need in order to dominate.
4: I saw Karch win a tournament and he didn't swing at one ball because he could not. Great point. Because he couldn't swing at it because his shoulder hurt. But
3: you can just plain be smarter, correct? And you don't lose that. That actually gets better. Yeah. <laughs> like analyzing volleyball for the last eight years, I actually know the sport much better than when I played.
4: Look, when you're younger, you're so athletic. You're like, I can jump over people. I don't need. I'm just going to see ball, hit ball. That's all I need to do because I can. Again, with the ogre reference. And because I'm better. That's just better with you. That's where you start to separate. Like kids in high school who are dominant, all of a sudden they get to college are not as dominant as the other kids are. So the fact that if you get to a high level, you're really, really good at your sport. Yes. You know, like if you're a top, if you're a top professional, you were really good in high school. There were a lot of really good kids in high school, and then a lot of those really good good kids weren't really not good in college. A lot of them. LeBron not James dominated high school. Well, no so doubt. Yeah. He was a grown man. It's a normal path. Correct. Grant Hill was a few years older than me, but he was in my same his school district played our school. Yeah, and a buddy of mine had to guard him in high school. Grant Hill was like a six four point guard in high school.
3: Run circles.
4: Just just give him the ball, and you could play one on five, and he would still win. Right. Yeah. It's so,
3: obvious when that's the case.
4: Correct. But you're right. Some people do peak later, but I think like. Like you say, like you know if you had better knees right now, you could still play.
3: I said this about the Long Beach event when I was there. I was looking out on the like, oh, I could like, oh, I could block all those guys. I could play at that level, 100%. Give me my knees back, give me six months to get back in volleyball shape, yep. and I will be right back at that level.
4: And regardless whether that's true or not, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way because you're an athlete. That's what you were before you were a broadcaster.
3: You have to feel yep. that way. I I recently just thought about kind of the notion – that I would that I would play through my career and never even consider that somebody could be better. That I that I would not succeed at the next level. Yeah. That I would not be able to go from junior college to college to the national team. I never even considered it. There's nothing wrong with that mindset at all. Like, okay, I'm going. That's just what I. It's what I do. I go. Yeah. And that's how you have to think that way as an athlete. You have to. You can't think about. It. And I was having this discussion with somebody at Fox yesterday who has a son mm-hmm. who plays quarterback, six three two ten, and he says his son is just full of testosterone and you know piss and vinegar, and he's he just feels like he can step on the field and dominate anybody. And his dad's looking at it, going, "Yeah, but this guy and that guy and you know, yeah, but that's not."
4: That's not where you can be. If you're going to do be Do not that change guy, that kid's mentality
3: at all. No. If yeah. you're going to be that guy, you have to believe that you are that guy, that you can produce that result. And if it didn't happen today, it is going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, you sure as hell better believe it will happen the day after. That is what you have to believe. And it seems almost foolish at the time. And then when you do get it done... It's it's not a validation of that, I guess, or or maybe it's it's because it's a byproduct because you believed it was possible. Yeah, because believe me, I came moved out from the Midwest, thought I was pretty good, went down to Marine Street, and I sucked. But I I kept coming back day after day after day. You're like to I'm get better, better than
4: this, and I'm going to get better. And I'm going to smash
3: you. I'm going to be better than this, and I would get a hold of a ball one out of every hundred swings. Yeah, and somebody would go, oh. My goodness. Yeah. I remember I was practicing. It's my year off. I was practicing with El Camino, the mm-hmm. junior college, because I met a couple guys and whatever, coming to the gym a couple times a week. We need a practice dummy. I said, perfect. I'm not that bright. I'll come in. So I'm in there being a practice dummy. I remember I got a hold of a ball, and the coach, Paul Vigiano, very famous coach here in the South Bay, actually married me a few years later. his a nice. master. He said, if you hit another ball like that, I'm going to make you sign up for this team. Awesome. But I couldn't do it. I I could hit that ball one out of every hundred. Then it was one out of every fifty. Then it was one out of every ten. Then it was three out of ten. Then it was five out of ten. Then it was eight or nine out of ten that I could get a hold of the ball that way. But that's over the course of several years. And you have to believe that you have that ability to harness that or to create that. If you don't have that ability, go be an accountant. Go be a salesman. It's a Go be something else because you're not going to do it. If you don't believe even in the face of of massive disappointment or in the face of obvious failure that you can one day achieve the goal or achieve success. Now, if you're five, six, 120 pounds, you're not going to be an outside hitter. But if you have that belief and you have some of the coordination, you have the size, you have the, the genetic gift that it's possible. Yeah. And you have that belief. Yeah. And this quarterback, six three two ten. 10. That's possible. For sure. Then and get he, after
4: it. And his father should not deter that thought process at all whatsoever.
3: And I told him that yesterday. I said, look, you got to believe that. You've got to not consider how good anybody else is. You've got to step into that gym, step onto that field, step onto that court, and believe that you will be better than anyone who's had more hype, more attention, different coaching, the right coaches, the right diet. It yeah. doesn't matter. I'm going to be better than you. Well, I like when... We make fun of players where they're like,
4: some team or who was it, uh, Milwaukee or somebody, that Brandon is like, oh, we're going to beat Miami in the first round of the playoffs, NBA. Not a chance they're going to beat Miami. But if he doesn't think that, he doesn't deserve to be there. That's not how athletes think. That's what I'm saying. Like He's like, we're really good. I'm really good. I should be able
3: to beat you. If he goes into it like, oh, yeah, we're going to lose, he wouldn't be in the NBA. National team right now. Yeah. They are not good enough to beat the top five teams in the world. Period. My opinion. They cannot beat the top five teams in the world okay. if the top five teams have their players. Okay. Do those players in that gym believe they're going to win every time they face one of those top five teams in the world? Absolutely. And, if I was on that team, would I believe that we should win every yeah. one of those matches? Yeah, you better damn believe it. And they should. Absolutely. Yeah. It but that's the difference between sitting in my chair as the analyst yeah. and getting paid to look at all the different variables and come up with an opinion that I believe is what will happen, Yeah. and versus being the player where you had better have that belief that you're going to be better. You had better have that belief in yourself, in your team, in your coaching, in your program, in what you are doing, that you are going to have success in the face of, oh, this is Brazil. Well, who the
4: hell cares? I'm me. Here we go. Well, here's my opinion on Jake Spiker Gibb, and some people may think this is fact. He's a pretty good blocker. Yeah, just gonna
3: throw that out there. I could hit by him, but he's pretty good.
2: <laughs> of, course, of, course, of course you could, okay?
3: and as you should as you should think that. No, he's uh, you know he's a a good player, and I think that was fun. That was uh, that was a very fun interview. I enjoyed hearing from Jake Spiker Gibb. We gotta get him in here. Tell him to come up at the studio. Does he live down in Huntington. Yeah, it's not that.
2: Ah, gonna.
4: Jake. And it was true. Like I got there early. I watched their whole practice. They did uh, some side out drills with. Uh, Nick Lucena and Russ and Nick Lucena's new partner, by the way, um, whose name you wrote down who I can't think of off the top of my head at the moment.
3: Yeah, I didn't write it down, I just saw it on here. But in, in uh he's Gr- gonna be Gratowski. good. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna be good. He blocked
4: he blocked Jake. And Casey Patterson looked at him and goes, Oh, welcome to your last practice with us.
3: Adrian Grotowski? is that yeah. his name?
4: Okay. But he's 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 a big kid. He's coming from indoor obviously, so he's he's a little uh a little fresh out there, but uh, Casey, by the way, is talking the entire time during practice. Not necessarily to somebody. Every once in a while to somebody, but he's just talking, just like he does in a normal match. Suck it. Yeah. Suck it. He, he would say that for sure, and like Jake said, the only thing he doesn't necessarily do in practice is dance as much. <laughs> as much. As much. So that mm-hmm. means there is some dancing, just not as much as there is in a match.
3: I love it. We're yeah. going to take a short break here in the netline. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Grand Prix. It is now underway for the women's indoor national no, team. I that was a moto reference. Kelly Murphy had 10 points against Brazil in a losing effort, first time in 18 matches the United States has lost. But we had some audio from Kelly Murphy we didn't get to from a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. We will get to that. Kelly Murphy from Illinois. Right back. Then alive. Welcome back to the Net Live. Still to come, Jeff Alzina is going to check in with us for ABCA Coaches Corner. And a guy who coaches a lot of outdoors, coaching some indoors, but still coaching some outdoors. Should be a great conversation with him. I want to thank our supporters. The ABCA has been a big one for a long time, as well as Volleyball Magazine. Hurley shirts, we're down to just a few. No larges left, no extra larges. And just medium and. It's mediums? It's
4: mediums. All, I think it's all two. medium grays and two. Like blue smalls, I believe, is what we have left. Two blue smalls.
3: I believe that's it. So find somebody who you can give a blue small to and buy it. Otherwise, my kids are going to wear them
4: shortly. They may outgrow them. One of your children walked by me last week or two
3: weeks ago and was almost taller than me. Uh, Yeah, large mammals. Reese is getting up there. Large mammals. He's getting up there. Hey, the United States women have started their Grand Prix. They have begun the journey of Grand Prix, and this is a horrible tournament if you're a player and a coach. This is the toughest tournament around. It is a month long. You've got down for basically five weeks because you have to be there early and then you have to go to the finals. Really just a, a nightmarish scenario, at least with World League. Yeah, the travel's the travel is kind of rough back and forth, but you get the mental break of being home sometimes. These ladies do not... Get that break at all. Despite that, the United States has been on an incredible performance. They have won the last two Grand Prix. They have won 18 matches straight dating back to the final round of 2011. Wow. They, of course, have had taken home two silver medals in the last two Olympic Games. It's been a really great run for the women's side. Well, the the streak is over. They're now 2-1. They lost to Brazil. They won the first set and then lost the next three. They were playing down in Campinas, Brazil. And this actually will be the hometown come professional season for one Kristen Hildebrand. Nice. She will be playing there. So it was kind of a neat thing for her to go down there and play and be in her soon professional environment yep. early. Kind of neat for the fans, for her. Lots of fun.
4: When I heard that it was Really high-level match, too. Like, the fans got their money's
3: worth. Top two teams in the world. Yeah. Top two teams, Brazil and the United States. They have met 17 times in Grand Prix play. Brazil holds the slim 10-8 advantage now in the series. But lately, it's been the United States. Take away the gold medal final. The United States has pretty well dominated Brazil. It's, uh, It's definitely a matchup of equals. Pool A was happening down there. The United States defeated Russia. That's a great one. 25 20 in the first, 17 25 lost in the second, and then 21 and 12 victories for the United States in the third and fourth. Then you had the United States taking on Poland. Who, Poland? Best looking team in the world. 25 22, 23, and 16. United States three sets victory straight away. Now, United States will have to embark on weekend number two. And let's see where they are. They are in Belgrade, Serbia. Been there a few years ago. How is ago. Serbia? How is Serbia? Yeah. They were my up-and-comer. They were my dark horse team. Yeah. Then they got injured. They got, Everybody got beat up. Yeah. They had a really good opposite. Uh, Yelena Nikolic. I don't know. I've got it around here somewhere. But they have some nice talent on that team. Yeah, I'm interested to see Serbia.
4: Young, like they could be good Very for young. a
3: while. One older good player and then a lot of younger players that were quite good. Yeah, Serbia defeated Dominican Republic and the Czech Republic, along with let's see what their other match be Puerto Rico. Although that one just happened recently, that was on August fourth, so we don't have a result from Sunday at least in the article I'm looking at. But Serbia, Serbia is a good team. And they thumped Dominican Republic, who's not too bad, 13-20-16. So hopefully Serbia performs like I, I thought they would. I think they have a lot of talent. They have the size. They have a very rich volleyball culture there in Serbia. So I'm interested to see what happens with these matches. The United States will face off with Algeria. That is not going to be tough for the United States. They will then play the Netherlands. I don't expect that to be very tough, and then play Serbia. That will happen August 11th at 8.15 local time there in Belgrade. Nice. And That should be a good match. That will be fun because you have a young United States side and you have a young Serbian side. I think anything can happen. So keep your eye on that. That will be weekend number two of Grand Prix action. I'm worried about our fans peaking
4: a little too early with how good our women's national team is.
3: You know what I'm saying? Like, we're excited. They're doing really
4: well. Like, if we peak as a fan base, like, are we going to be able to peak again come Olympic time? You don't
3: feel like you can sustain it? I think you can. I think you can do it.
4: I don't know, Kevin. I'm getting older. I get tired.
3: The next round the United States will be in Sendai, Japan. So there's your travel schedule. Brazil, Serbia, Japan. Not coming home. Not coming home in between. They'll face the Czech Republic, then Japan, and then, of course, a rematch of the friendlies we saw here. Friendlies. And then the United States versus Bulgaria. Okay. Bulgarian women, a lot like the Bulgarian men, not quite as talented, but always underperforming. <laughs> I thought you were going a different direction with that. But... Always underperforming. Oh, well.
4: No, no, no. I just don't want to get you in
3: trouble. Yeah. We won't discuss that. <laughs> we won't discuss that. But in that loss against Brazil, Kelly Murphy played in all four sets. She took home 10 points a player who was quite good in college at Florida Mm -hmm. and had an opportunity to catch up with her right after the Long Beach matches. We played some audio from that a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to get an opportunity for people to hear from one of the players who is out there in that roster and young talent trying to make the team in a crowded, crowded gym. Here's Kelly Murphy a couple of weeks ago in Long Beach. All right, after USA-Japan, 3-1 victory for the U.S. Here with the United States, Kelly Murphy, pride of Wilmington, Illinois, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
3: there's Matt Anderson Day in his hometown in West Seneca. Do we have Kelly Murphy Day?
1: Uh, No, I'm Wilmington not aware now? of anything now. <laughs> Why not?
3: i got to hook this up. Hey, you're you're back with the national team now. It's been, what, two years since you're out of school? Um,
1: yes. Yeah. No, one season. One season,
3: right? Okay, so but you you didn't really get a lot of time with the national team last year. This time you are getting a lot of time with the oh, national team. This
1: is my first time out here. Yeah,
3: how did that come about? Who did you talk to? How
1: were you invited? Um, I was playing in Puerto Rico on my professional team there, and Karch sent me an email maybe sometime in March, and um, just asked if I'd be interested in coming out and training, and said of course, and that's just how it happened.
3: You can't tell Karch no.
1: Uh, I mean, you could, but <laughs> I guess I was not going to. <laughs>
3: how was your professional season in Puerto Rico?
1: Uh, it went pretty well. Um, we made the playoffs, and uh, we we did. I think we overachieved for our team. I was proud of how we did, and I had a good time down there.
3: What have you noticed in the major differences between the college game and the professional game?
1: Um. I've noticed the professional game is everybody's a lot smarter. Um some of these girls have been playing for a long time and they just their volleyball IQ is really high. So, you have to adjust to that and everyone's a lot stronger too. They hit harder and it's more of a power game.
3: Is that good for you?
1: I like it. Yeah, it took some time adjusting, but um I think I'm getting more comfortable every time I'm out there, so I like it.
3: Is it tough being a lefty with setters?
1: Um, it can be, but it can also be um, an advantage because a lot of times other teams don't see a lot of lefties. So, And our setters, especially tonight, get a good job of getting me on one-on-one. And so it was easy to find a lot of seams in the block. But um, we run it really fast, so sometimes connecting can be a little bit harder. Um, but I think we're getting better every day. And...
3: Tell me a little bit about the team dynamic here because there's still some veterans around that have played in one, two, three, I mean... 10 olympics whatever danielle scott has done but how is it with the younger players now coming in you're in a similar situation to the men where it's kind of a generational shift describe to me the atmosphere from the standpoint of young and old
1: um i think so far we've done a really good job at communicating with each other and um obviously it's a pretty fast learning curve there's a lot of time to make mistakes but everyone here is really supportive and the veterans have been offering a lot of feedback and making the adjustment pretty easy for the new people
3: are you guys open to that feedback from the other players?
1: Yeah, I think at this level you have to be, and, and everybody's played a lot of volleyball, and everyone has good input, so it, it helps any little bit of information you can get.
3: Can you tell if Karch is upset or happy?
1: <laughs> um, he's been pretty good at keeping a poker face, um, but uh, you can definitely tell when he's happy, and he's high-fiving, and um, you know, when he's upset, he lets you know what you need to do better, and I think we've had—he's done a good job so far.
3: Okay, the last four years, we had a lot of fun with Huma Kutche because he has certain, a, a certain manner of speaking—rainbows okay. and ponies and, and those types of things. Just funny colloquialisms, little funny things that he would say. <laughs> Is there anything that Karch said that you were like, "Huh, I haven't heard that before"?
1: Um. He uses a pretty big vocabulary. There's some words that a lot of us are kind of like, never heard that one in a little while. Um, I can't think of anything specific right now, but sometimes, you know, we'll say something and people just kind of look around like, oh, that was a pretty big word.
3: <laughs> so a team-issued dictionary might be a good idea?
1: Yeah, probably.
3: <laughs> All right, tell us a little bit about the rest of your plan for the summer. Obviously, making this traveling team is a great step forward. Playing time is a great step forward. What does the rest of the summer look like for you?
1: Um, hopefully I'll be with the national team until, uh, the season finishes in September, November, something around there, depending how we do mm-hmm. at uh North Rica. And then, um, I actually haven't graduated from school yet. So I'm that's
3: okay. I haven't either. Yeah. Don't worry about it.
1: I'm going to be hopefully finishing up classes and stuff and then, uh, looking to play in January somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. No, nowhere for sure yet.
3: No Puerto Rico again.
1: Uh, possibly Puerto Rico, um, maybe. Before. Wherever I'm going, I'm yeah, taking going. with me.
3: Wherever Courtney is headed. No,
1: right. I'm, yeah, that's my rule. We're kind her. of like a package deal.
3: Is this your opposite?
1: It's my opposite. Yeah. My, 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 lefty right there. You don't mess that. Bond. Sorry.
3: Hey, we'll okay. get to you in a second. Come on. All right, thanks a lot. Good luck on the next team. Thank you. And with the Kelly Murphy day. Get that done.
1: I know, I got to get on that somehow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Courtney Thompson, you've heard of photobombing. That's an interview bomb right yes, there. Yeah, I was, remember I was standing next
4: to you, and she just ran over and jumped in.
3: And then she ran away. I was yeah. like, wait, I'm wait like, no, no, that? No, 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 I'm out of here. Nope. Yep, That's all you get. Just ran off.
4: I was just on the show a few weeks ago. You don't need me again. Kelly Murphy.
3: No, it's that's pretty funny. She's, uh, yeah, being a lefty is good. And, and she didn't get into it. I mean, she got into the, obviously, what we talked about here on the show before, where if you don't have a lefty in the gym, it's hard to block against a lefty. But I think it's a setter issue, too. I remember when... Brandon Taliaferro came to the national team, and I was Mm -hmm. playing a lot of right side at that point. Mm -hmm. He had had a left handed opposite. He left the ball short constantly. Constantly. How many times did you yell at him? Uh, I don't think I yelled at him at that point. I was a little calmer by that point, like (laughs) 01. But I I understood why, because he had Ratlich, I think. Ratlich was on that side. The rat? He's always leaving it short. Nice. Like, dude, I am right handed. Push the ball Push it. So. We have our, our we, guy? We do. Oh, nice. He's I mean, going through this guy's resume. Where hasn't he been? It might be shorter just to cover where he, where he hasn't been. Yeah, what he no hasn't doubt. done. This guy has coached Greek national teams. Currently coaches the Elite Beach Development Program, the head coach there for USA Volleyball. He's coached indoor juniors with SCVC here in Southern California. Two stints, and now in his second with Cal State LA as an assistant coach on the indoor side for the women. He played at UC Santa Cruz, so he's a veteran banana slug. <laughs> Talk to him about Jay Hasek and his involvement there. Please welcome to the Net Live. I think for the first time, I don't know if we've talked to Jeff Alzina in the last he, five years, have we? When you were in the Olympics, Kevin, he hosted the show. That's right. Okay, buddy, don't right. I did listen to part him. of that. Don't sell him short. All right, so former co host. Former co-host yeah. of the Net Live. Welcome in, Jeff Alzina. I think he came to your house, didn't he? Yes, he did. Very nice, <laughs> Jeff. Are you there? Hey
6: guys, hey thanks, guys. For, having thanks for having me. Hey, oh, thanks he for
3: too. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> thanks for calling in and and spending a little time with us, man. You're a busy guy. You've been all over the place, and this is part of the ABCA Coaches Corner, an opportunity for a lot of coaches who listen to this program to learn from the experience of others and. I, you know, I look at what you're doing right now. You're indoors and you're out at the same time. Do you have to go through, like, some sort of physical morph or maybe just <laughs> mental restabilization when you go and have sand between your toes or you have a pair of sneakers on?
6: I think the drive up to the university each day, day is the day. Uh, yeah, it's the refocus time,
3: <laughs> at least a mental morph. At least a mental morph. Okay, t- tell me about the, the different mental approach to these two games. Well, that's a good question. It's um, kind of broad. I figured you just take it where you will. It's pretty broad. But I'll go with broad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: it,
6: it's just it's not only different across the uh, you know the different types of volleyball, indoor and outdoor, but you know age groups is totally different uh, mentally, and genders is totally different mentally as well. And you're right. I'm doing a lot of different stuff with a lot of different age groups, and so I kind of enjoy that that uh, interplay of trying to teach the, the mental game to the different players that have it as well. Um, beach doubles, is just it's, it's, it's you and another person. That's all it is. It's one of the most unique sports in the world, I think. It's kind of an individual sport, but you're ultimately reliant on one other person and you don't get a substitution for that person. So that partnership and that chemistry is, is crucial. Yeah. I mean, you could be a great, great player and play with someone else who's a great player but not have success. Because you have to have a tremendous amount of trust uh, uh, and just reading ability and communication, um, so it, it's just ultimately crucial to have a strong mental gain, flexibility in your personality and your communication skills in doubles. And I mean, it definitely goes across the board indoors too, but not quite. A, you know, it's more dispersed.
3: Interesting. The flexibility. I hadn't. I hadn't thought about the flexibility. I mean, always. Obviously, we always talk about the different technical abilities in the sport of volleyball, but the mental flexibility to be an effective beach athlete. It, do you see that in certain players at, at certain positions more often? Uh,
6: well, I think Carrie Walsh is a great example of someone who can be flexible. With with, uh, with Misty, she kind of followed Misty's lead on the court as far as what they were trying to do physically. Um, but when she's played with other players like Rachel Walkholder or Whitney Pavlik, she's going to take a really dominant leadership role. So I think she can kind of follow and lead at the same time. Um, but, yeah, some players are pretty rigid. They're rigid in ways, physical ways. Obviously, some players can only play the right side, only the left side. They can only block or not play defense. Um, and they can be emotionally rigid, too, and that causes a lot of problems on the court in beach volleyball.
3: How do you as a coach address uh, emotional rigidity? How do you get players to be more flexible or think about the game in a different way?
6: Oh, lots of conversations.
3: <laughs> lots
6: of conversations. And if you're lucky to get them to do it, you can do some role play with them too where you just talk about situations off the court. And if you need to uh, you know, make it non-volley and just talk about life situations uh, and role play through that, that helps too. But uh, they just need to understand that it, it's, not li- it's such a different mental game. You're not going out and just playing one role. You know, in indoors you can just go out and play your role, do do your two or three skills, and, and come back off the court. Uh, but you have to be doing everything. One of my biggest observations in Long Beach, and, you know, I guess I've had it for a long time, but it kind of resurfaced at Long Beach, was um, is it, I think players are playing with confidence or without confidence. And it's black and white. I don't see a lot of – in beach volleyball, you don't see a lot of neutral. Like, I'm just kind of playing. I think the players are either confident or they're not. My first day down there watching the world tour, um, it was just really clear. It looked to me about 75% of the players were unconfident in some version, and maybe a quarter of the players out there were basically like, I'm just going to play and play hard, and I believe in myself. And that carried over – if that could carry over to their partner, they were good. And if that couldn't carry over, if they were confident but not touching the ball enough or not uh, being verbal with their confidence, they weren't a very good team. And it seemed to be more so on the women's side than the men, but definitely both.
2: Interesting I think point kind of
6: to... what you guys were talking about uh, before you had Kelly on there. You were talking about that belief that you can go out there and play even if you've got a bad leg or you have been sitting out for two years, or whatever, you have to believe that you're good enough and you can't compare yourself to other players.
3: When you're watching that, how do you see that? How is that being projected with players?
6: That's a really good question because I've said that to players that are alongside watching with me and I have to look at them and go, I'm not trying to say that I got a PhD in uh, body language, but I think, you know, I think good coaches, we all do that, right? We walk into the gym, we kind of say, oh, that guy looks like he's loose, he's confident. I mean, co- coaches constantly make uh, evaluations on the body language or the communication skills of a player. Uh and this is what I see. I just I can see hesitation. I can see, you know, I don't know, uh, just body language. Just someone who's looking at the ground more often. Someone who shrugs after every play versus someone who looks to makes eye contact with their partner after every play. Just little tiny things uh, that you're talking about, or ways that you carry yourself, the speed that you play at. Um, so I think those are good things to talk to players about, especially the young players who, you know, might not get that for a long time. Until they, you know, maybe were in the mid twenties, but with all the youth development going on, I think that's an area that
3: has to be uh, explored as well. Is that PhD program was that a UC Santa Cruz or a Cal State LA program for the body language? <laughs> <laughs>
6: it was the follow-up to the master's in sports psych I got from Cal State Long Beach.
3: There you go. There, I see. I left Long Beach off the list, and Tom Hoff will be forever upset with me for that. I always accused him of going to a state school, and that that was somehow inferior. That's
6: right. <laughs> when I went to the, uh, I, I qualified the Greek team in the Olympic games in 2000 and then uh, was obviously the men's head coach for USA volleyball for the beach national team in 2004 in Athens. And, right. and that's when I, when I came back after Athens, I just said, I have to go learn more about teaching and about sports psychology. And Long Beach has got a great program. I needed to get some motor learning stuff and I needed to get some pedagogy on how to teach and get people to learn faster. And I really just, when I got, you know, after being at the second Olympic games, I said, this is like the mental games. This is not, I mean, everybody there was good enough to win. But it was clear, this crystal clear to me that the team that was most confident, whether they were hot or not, when they went into the games, so if you were just playing out there with confidence and you didn't mind all the distractions and the so called pressure and things like that, those are the teams that did better. And you'll always see in the Olympic Games, someone, you know, a couple teams come out of nowhere, you know, like that team, that Latvian team that beat Phil and Todd. They're just, they're just playing. And you'll always see a few teams that kind of fall apart like in Sydney when you had Emmanuel Rigo and uh, so they were, oh, number one in the world, won like 10 events going into the games, and just kind of fell apart once it got tight in ninth place. So I, I think I can't speak highly enough about my belief that coaches at all levels should have some experience in modal learning and sports psychology. It's not teaching.
3: You know, I played with a Hungarian guy in college, Peter Kodachi, and I never really understood – peter's approach to life or to the game or to the season until i was the professional foreigner overseas i really got a window into what it's like to be in that environment you as a coach with that opportunity to go over and coach the greek national teams what did you learn about the different mentality of of european players i mean greek in particular but there seemed to be some pretty stark differences between players here and players there yeah well definitely
6: when i got there that was in 1998 um it it, it was definitely the entitlement issue, you know, as all the uh, national team players, because we were basically meeting with national team indoor types that wanted to consider, you know, once we were designing a professional, I'm sorry, Olympic development program, you know, for their host country six years later, we had to look at a lot of the top players and even the top youth, and there was a serious issue with laziness, with just entitlement, with just thinking like, oh, I've been selected and so I'm in. You know, or I have this big name or I have these certain physical characteristics and I can't be touched. And that was really, really hard to break through. And I was trying to basically teach them the, you know, the blue-collar work ethic, the underdog uh, Cinderella story type mentality that Americans seem to have, uh, certainly in sports. And now, unfortunately, I almost feel like it's kind of reversing. Most of the European teams over there have whittled away, you know, the the, – entitlement issue by making a really organized uh, youth development programs and they've, they've offered those players incentives but I think they make it hard for them for a while. They really make them pay on their own the way we used to for the ADP and they pay on their own for a while they get selected but they have to like find their own coach or go with no coach and battle it alone and then you kind of you know get the spoils once you've actually proven something out there. And then we have, I don't know, in my opinion, kind of this Generation Y issue of, you know, you can talk to any club coach these days and they'll tell you uh, that how the kids here just kind of feel like the parents have pushed them along the whole way and that they deserve things and whatever. You know, everyone gets a medal-type idea. So there's yeah. a little bit of a flip. And, you know, I'm working with USA right now and with the EDP program, trying to make sure that those kids have a little bit more old-school, blue-collar mentality of going
3: out and earning them on their own,
6: the way that most of our players did when we medaled over the past 12 years, uh, coming
3: up to the ADP. Hey, with some of that push from parents and from club coaches and so on, there's been, I think, some resistance to allowing kids to explore the game in other forms. Do you like kids cross-training for either beach or indoor by playing the other discipline on a regular basis?
6: If that's what they want to do, I think it's great. Mike Sealy wrote a great article in uh, Coaching Volleyball. I think it was uh, November or December about just, you know, how we grew up, probably you grew up, uh, going to open gyms. You know, you just went because you wanted to. And, you know, there was eight people there, you played fours. If there was four people, you played doubles. Uh, You know, and and beach volleyball was really popular, I think, back then when we were growing up too. And I never even thought twice about it. It was just like, it was a nice day, I'd go play on the beach. But if it was indoor season or indoor practice, I'm doing that. I I obviously like cards. I think that you learn a ton from, from doing both.
3: Yeah, it is interesting that if you are always in that club environment, if you are always in the structured environment, how are you ever going to break out of being a middle or being an outside or being a libero? How are you ever going to get that experience? But if you play fours or twos and randomly, you're going to be called on to do some of the things.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw a little bit of that in the NCAA fan stuff this year. Some of the girls that had played sand and gone back and played indoor, you can see there's a little bit of a comfort, kind of like a comfort level in their ball control and you certainly turn non-setters into transition setters. You certainly have to, you know, with the eye work that's required in volleyball, ball setter, ball hitter, you're getting that way more often and in a more important environment when you're playing doubles because it's, you know, if you don't get it and your partner doesn't get it, that's it.
2: So you're just getting tons of
6: eye work and balance work and ball control work. I mean, the crossover from playing beats to go to indoor I think is tremendous. I, I think it's important. Um You know, it's not for every kid, though. But, yeah, there's tons of stuff you can gain from it.
3: How about the issue of high school versus club? I've heard increasing pressure from club coaches to not play high school volleyball and not have that scholastic experience, the traditional American scholastic experience of participating and representing your school. Do you think kids should continue to play in a high school program even if they are also in a high-level club atmosphere?
6: Well, there was a great, great article in last week's, uh, I think it was the Easy Reader or the Beach Reporter, the South Bay uh, newspaper, on what's been happening with all the different coaches at Maricosta High School and Redondo High School. I think there's like 16 different coaches that have either been let go, terminated, or resigned in the last two years, and several of them being coaches who have been there for 15, 20 years, super respected, super successful, due to all sorts of, uh, you know, the kind of political things that are going on. and One of them certainly being uh, the recruitment of high school athletes now from other towns to your team, which makes things hard and doesn't really create that community environment. And then certainly the, uh, you know, the rise of club and how political club can get. And, you know, if my kid's not playing, then I'm going to go to another club or I'm going to start my own club. Uh, Fortunately, I I say fortunately, but I I enjoy coaching the boys' club uh, more than the girls'. Um, and it's a totally different way that I think parents treat their daughters versus their sons. You know, when I go to a club uh, girls tournament, it's just there's a totally different environment. There's like a like an intensity and anxiety, and, and I can almost like feel the politics that are going on in the in behind the scenes. But the boys, I you know, SCVC's got a great deal that they do with uh, contracts with the parents and a little bit of uh, kind of teaching of the parents of what their role is, and uh, so we don't have a whole lot of issues of, you know, like the playing time or my kid needs this or that. And uh, the boys have been pretty successful the last few years. But as far as should, I, I don't know if kids should or shouldn't play club or high school. It kind of just seems like club is where everything's going and that's where you can get the most recognized, but it, not to a fault, you know, not not completely. I think, you know, there's definitely – I'm recruiting, you know, for Cal State LA and we still definitely go look at high school teams. Um our boys, you know, my advisor had the 17 year old boys this year uh, who silver medaled in Reno. And they, uh, some of them got way, way better during mm-hmm. high school, and it was great for them. And some, you know, just kind of had to sit behind someone else in their position, and they got a little bit worse during high school. But in this situation, I think they're learning. You know, I had a sophomore who was uh, stayed and played in JV. He got tons and tons of reps, became the guy on his sophomore, you know, his JV team. And, uh, so when he came back, he was a way, way better player. He actually earned the starting position on the outside over uh, Junior, who had it all year. And then some of the guys who had to ride the bench, you know, who were starters for my squad, they just had to learn a little bit more about, you know, patience and, and getting 1% better, you know, is, is paying all the attention to your whole development. So I like players to do both if they can. I never got burned out. I don't know if you ever got burned out. If you love a sport, I don't think there's too much of it.
3: There's that confidence issue again coming into play. Hey, you mentioned the parents a couple of times, and whether it's the expectations of the parents or the parents pushing kids ahead and and the way that SCVC deals with them with parents, is it like anything else? Is it about setting expectations for the parents and their behavior and the way that they're going to uh, treat the club and treat their kid during the club experience?
6: Absolutely, and, again, I can really only speak from, from the guy's perspective, but I know that, you know, we have him sign a contract that basically says if you're going to talk to a coach outside of, you know, anything super minor, you basically want to have your kid present, and the coach is going to let the director know that we're going to be speaking and trying to have as many people there present as possible. We found that the um, the parents are a lot more I don't know, level-headed and respectful if a director is there talking to a coach as well, or if their own child is there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of times when it's just a parent walking up to a coach, you know, the wrong time for sure is just to come up during a match or during a tournament right after a match um, when things are heated sometimes. So, yeah, there's a full, like, code of conduct, and it gets explained to them verbally. They read that as well. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Expectations are huge, you know. In club, I always use club as well. This is different than high school. This is kind of clubs, all about trying to find the best of the best and try to win with all the best kids from the community, regardless of what school they're at. High school is just you're, you know, the best kid at your school, and we'll see what we do with that. And maybe there's more equal playing time in certain situations. But I think some parents see club as, well, I'm paying, so no matter what, my kid needs to play. <laughs> but you know, that I, I've never, I've right. never bought into that at all. Clubs should be much more competitive. It's a paid travel team. That's about competing and winning and and learning your role. You know, we won the gold medal at at 17 and under three years ago, and we had two kids that basically hardly played all year. One was just a serving sub, and that was it, and he knew it. And he knew it from day one, and he knew he couldn't compete on the outside, and he just basically embraced that serving role. He goes, I just want to come in and serve, and I'm going to have these two serves that I can always deliver for you guys. And it was huge. We were down 12 to 7 in a game to 15, and he came in and served seven points in a row for us to get up to 14 before they started out and we started out to win.
3: But it was
6: just a great example. His mom was one of the team moms, and all he did was serve all year. So with a how certain understanding spend- and expectations, it works.
3: Yeah, how much time do you spend talking to those role <laughs> players about their roles and about the expectations for them when they're in a non-starting spot?
2: <laughs>
6: how often do you talk to them about really depends on how well they grasp it.
2: I
3: mean, okay. some of them
6: grasp that early on, and they just kind of know. They're like, I'm really stoked to be on this team. Maybe they've been on the team the year before, and they just know. Uh, what's tough is when somebody's fighting for a spot. Um, you know, you got, like, three outsides, and two are going to start, and one's just kind of knocking on that door. Um, I try and talk to them a lot, but not super specifically every single time. Um, the kid, like I said, who stayed on JV instead of moving up uh, – and got all those reps. You know, I talked to him about that earlier in the year and thought that would be a good idea for him uh, so that he could get those reps. And I told him the other guy had the starting spot um, all year until it was really clear that that his numbers were better and his whole aura was better, the team operated better when he was out there. And he said, no problem, coach. I totally get it. So-and-so is bigger than me, stronger than me. He's always played at a higher level, but I'm going to keep chipping away. We had, you know, conversations – throughout the year about, like, you know, you're getting closer. You know, I really like your confidence. If, if you're sw- if your swinging, is, you know, it seems that your passing numbers are all equal now. So if your swinging is equal or better, you know, you're going to get that shot. And sure enough, he did um, going into JOs and did great for us.
3: Jeff, what's the best piece of advice you can give to a coach who's looking to start a junior's beach program? You're the head coach for the Elite Beach Development at USA Volleyball, and there's been a tremendous amount of growth in this juniors beach area we've talked about it here on the show a few times places like florida and california it's really starting to to take hold what what piece of advice could you give to someone who's looking to start a program like that with juniors
1: that's a really good
6: question um you know it's really big in texas right now and it's really growing in uh, arizona as well it's a state high school sport there um I think the best advice is to, is to at least have two people in charge. Have somebody who's going to direct all of the educational content and someone who can run kind of like the business side of it. But I think often you have one person that's good at one of those and maybe not the other with a lot of mm-hmm. club stuff. With with the beach stuff and the NCAA stuff, you know, you, you saw, what, thirty, forty teams kind of pop up uh, on the NCAA side with women's sand.
2: And we've only got
6: about five, six, maybe seven uh, quality beach uh, experience coaches. And so my fear is a little bit that some of these, you know, programs that just,
1: you know, roll out the
6: balls with their indoor coach and try and learn the game in one year, that we're not going to develop really quickly. And so I would definitely, you know, advise against that if you're going to try and start a club. If you're starting a club, get someone who's been there, not only as a player, but hopefully someone who's done some beach coaching to provide the content. And just like uh, any other good club, try and provide that content top to bottom. You know, not only for your 18s, but bring that down to your 14s and 15s so that they kind of start learning a system uh, that they can carry with them for three, four years. Um, and then obviously any club's got to have a good business side kit as well.
3: All right, when well, you're going to coach juniors on the beach, what kind of equipment are you using? What are you what are you rolling out or what are you dragging out, I guess, in the sand? Because nothing rolls very well.
6: <laughs> what do you mean as far as?
3: Court, yeah, ball. actual physical equipment. I mean, we want to give kind of a co- coaches give the coaches a listen to this program who are out there coaching beach. Uh, you know, a little bit of advice on what kind of implements are they taking out? Are we talking boxes, uh, targets? I mean, what what are you what are you taking out to utilize as far as physical equipment?
6: Uh, um, I think one of the biggest things that they have to learn first is is just the verticality of the sport. It's not so much equipment as it would probably be trying to get them to watch video or watch pros live and see the verticality and the speed that is played. Again, in Long Beach, it just struck me so bluntly how high everybody there plays. Um, you know, the men were playing, in, I mean, we always say try and pass at least as high as the antenna and set it maybe a little bit higher than that. I mean, the men were playing in the big matches 10 to 15 feet above the antenna with passes and sets. Um, and even the women, which I love to see, the women's game, especially the Brazilians and the Europeans more than us, were playing high. You know, as soon as they got in any sort of trouble, first, as soon as that first ball wasn't exactly where you needed it, they threw it high and all the way to the net so they could play physical. Um, so I'm not sure as far as equipment goes what they need to see with that, but that's got to be the goal. I, I constantly try and tell my players that there is a too low. There's definitely too low in each volleyball. You can pass it so low your guy can't get there. So all of your trouble plays, so many broken plays are often just too low. It's not location. Location's overrated, okay, but height is underrated. We've got to get the verticality of that sport going. You know, and then the other thing for young players is to see just to see the um, geometry, just to see the spacing. It's always triangles and it's always space between the balls. always got to be kind of between you the most. So I'm not a big box guy as far as get up on the box and snap balls and stuff. As, as often as you can get live hitters in there, live servers, let the kids – Touch and throw the ball as much as possible. You know, they got to learn the balance and the wind and how to, you know, utilize it make it your friend and all that. Um, So equipment, you just basically need your court. You need a a bunch of balls if you can, ball cart, and um, and some way to teach verticality, to teach them that having it a little bit high is okay.
3: Okay. And don't forget your protractor, sine, cosine, tangent. Make sure you get your geometry right before you head out there. (laughs) We had a, a quick question coming off the chat board from Vinny Lopes. He said, uh, he, "He said his question is why would a coach pick a player who he or she knows will never play or only get limited playing time? Wouldn't it be better for that player to play a lower level and get more playing time? I mean, you spoke to that a little bit with a kid who stayed on the JV and then kind of dominated in club. How do you, how do you parse that each time? I mean, obviously it's an individual decision each time, but what are you looking for?" more playing time and more experience with uh, perhaps a a higher-level team?
6: That's that's, that's kind of the ultimate question right there. I I think if you're going to be on the bench and you're going to know it, that experience that you get just being around that team better be really good. It better be a really high level of being in those drills and a great relationship with a coach that's still teaching you and that you matter. You know, there's certain high school programs around that got 20 kids on the on the team, and those kids never play. They don't even get during the week reps. Not only are they not playing in the match, they're not even getting touches at practice. So you've got to be careful when you say, like, I'm going to go get great experience by, you know, you know, developing slowly on a winning team or with a great program because you still have to touch the ball. So I, I just advise them to make sure that that's not the case. You're not just going to completely ride pine even in practice and not even getting in the drills. Um otherwise, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, go dominate. Go dominate a lower level or your level, whatever that may be. But, uh, you know, kids got to touch the ball. They've got to develop a little bit faster, and they've got to be on the court reading and seeing what happens rather than sitting on the bench.
3: Jeff Alzino, we sure appreciate the time you've been spending with us here on the Net Live. I had a, one question for you before we let you go. You've been around for a long time. You've coached Greek teams. You've coached the U.S. team at an Olympic level. You've coached in college. You've coached at the juniors level. You have a lot of breadth of experience with this sport. Give me just kind of your quick synopsis of the state of beach volleyball. Oh, do we lose them?
6: Chaos with potential.
3: <laughs>
6: Total chaos with potential. I just hope that... Some of these tours, I don't follow the business side or the political side or that stuff a whole lot. Um, I mean, I do, but I try not to get too into it. But, you know, I'm really, really stoked on how much there seems to be this huge interest in young kids playing beach volleyball, like recreationally or for, I mean, clubs are popping up everywhere. NCAA jumped huge last year. And you just go down to the beach and see so many kids playing, Um, and it seems that there's Tons of participants. We still need to find a way to get fan um, participation for whatever reason. I think the World Series did a pretty good job of taking all these people that want to play, you know, and having that six-man ter- uh, tournament and the four-man tournament and getting a captive audience where you play and then you go to center court and you watch something else. So we're definitely not out of the woods yet as far as trying to become a great, significant, solid, uh, growing sport financially. But um, it seems like there's a lot of interest and a lot of fire right now. So hopefully the people, the powers that be, you know, really do need to cooperate in some way and find ways to uh, divide and conquer properly.
3: Right on, Jeff Alzina. Thanks very much for joining us. We sure appreciate your insights and uh, continue to good luck with all of your different jobs there. JOS Beach Development as well as Cal State LA.
6: <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. Love listening to you. Have a good day.
3: Awesome. All See right, Jeff, Jeff Alzina. Checking in from out here in California. I, you know what? Here's the quote from that interview. Lots of great information in that, by the way, on a lot of different topics uh, for you coaches and thinking about teams. But there's one quote, making players understand that you matter. Listen, that is that is from me coaching flag football where every kid wants a damn ball. Somebody's got a block. Yep. we we'll have to make sure kids know that they matter. All the way up to the professional teams. Why is Phil Jackson, why has he been so successful? Why has Hugh McCutcheon been so successful? It's not by hanging on to information and telling nobody nothing about what's happening. It is by making people feel valuable. You see it outside of sport as well. Every survey they've ever done asks people, do you want more money or do you want to feel valued? They would take less money to feel valued in a position. Well, I like to they said that you're still coaching. You still need to coach the kids that
4: aren't playing, you know they could they they may not be getting in the game that often they may not be getting much playing time, yeah, but in practice, you still need to give them attention you need to they still want to get better, and that's your job as a coach, especially at a younger like you're not professional, you know what I'm saying you're not coaching at a professional level, so these kids they're there to to learn, so you're learning valuable lessons sitting on the bench and then you'll learn more uh in practice too, you just can't ignore those kids that aren't getting any playing time.
3: No, your job as a coach is to mentor these kids. And let's be honest, what you're there for. Most of those kids are never going to play Division One college. Most of those kids certainly are never going to play on an Olympic team or make a living professionally at the sport. Yep. You're there to mentor the kids and and give for them sure. an experience that they cannot get outside of sport. And that doesn't mean just the X's and O's of sport. Correct. Like you said, the experience of it. Um that you matter. Remember yeah. that. Remember yeah. that, coaches. Try and make your players feel that they matter. Make them know that they matter to the success or failure of that team. And the success or failure of your team is not just on the court. It's how you travel. It's how you practice. It's how you behave with each other between matches at these big tournaments, which is a big issue for juniors. And look, the kid sitting on the bench
4: could affect the guys on the court. If said kid is has a bad attitude about being on the bench or isn't sure what his or her role is, you know, that all, it all matters.
3: Yeah, we're not talking about standing up cheering really loud. Yeah. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about supporting your teammates in, in all forms, Correct. not being a nutcase on the sideline or, hey, I'm the best cheer even though I'm not in a match. Yeah. No, that's, the, nobody cares how much you're cheering. People care how you're treating your teammates in between. If you're paying attention to the match, if you're watching what's happening in the match, well, you're not in the match. Tough thing to do for kids in college. For sure. (laughs) Try the the high school kids and younger.
4: Well, and the kids who are the starters, how they treat the kids who aren't getting
3: as much playing time as well, too. Also vitally important. Yeah, Vitally important. It is vitally important that you listen to this program. For sure. We hope that you have enjoyed today's program. We had Albert Hanneman talking to NVL and AVP. Interesting discussion there. Jake Gibb and Jeremy, or Jake Gibb and Larry King, if you prefer. If you prefer. (laughs) Spiger, go ahead. Jeff Alzina, just checking in, indoor-outdoor discussion. That's all good stuff. We're going to endeavor to get Huma Kutchin back one of these weeks here, since that was on the fifth Aldi episode of The Net Live. We will get him back, and we will get Nicole Davis back at some point as well. When our
4: Canadian friend Cam blew up the show. <coughs> yeah, thanks a
3: lot, Cam.
4: So I'm at the World Series of Beach blah, blah Blah, and he's like, oh, apparently I get blamed for shutting your show down. And I was like, well, it's just timing. I'm just saying. Hey. You, you are what happened.
3: Show was fine. <laughs> you called. You show hung, was not fine. You
4: called. You hung up. All of a sudden, nothing. All of a sudden, BJ was getting uh, four seasons on uh, on the
3: podcast. Just winter, not four Winter, seasons. you're right. It was, it was strictly winter. It was like Narnia. Yes. That's all it was. It was perpetual winter. The queen oh, was in time. charge. Aslan was not in charge, and we had kids coming out of wardrobes. That's what was happening. And I do have an announcement to make, Kevin.
4: Oh, um, I've been getting, especially the last week at the FIVB event, I've been getting a lot of questions about if I would be working with the ABP again this season. And let's just say this right now: like, anytime there's a beach volleyball event, people just assume I'm there. People assume I've DJed all the NVL events.
3: Then the music's no good, and they realize you're
4: not there. Yeah, and they're like, oh, Jeremy's not here. The music's awful, which is not necessarily the case. Um, But anytime there's a beach volleyball event, people just assume I'm there. It could be your local YMCA beach volleyball event in uh, Dockweiler. I do not do those because they don't have enough money. But uh, I will be with AVP this season. The only event I will not be at is Salt Lake City. Uh, A good friend of mine is getting married that weekend, but I will be at the rest of them.
3: How do your Mormon relatives feel about the fact you're not going back to the homeland? You know, my more, the pilgrimage
4: it's funny. To Mecca. It's funny because I haven't I hadn't told any of them yet
3: because it wasn't official
4: until yesterday. But uh, they will be like, of course, the one event you can't get to is the one where uh, I have a decent amount of family that lives. In Utah, but I will be making sure they all go to the event.
3: I understand there's an excommunicated list, and you're on it. You may not get past border <laughs> control at the SLC airport. Well, since I'm not officially Mormon, was never
4: baptized. I'm not sure how much they would claim me, but.
3: And the swall hog, not an approved Mormon hairstyle. Yes. File. Earrings, tattoos,
4: my hair—what I do for a living. Not necessarily the poster child.
3: Well, you're not Southern Baptist. You can dance, right? You're allowed to dance. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just you know out late at clubs,
4: you know all that kind of stuff.
3: You know, one topic we didn't touch on here were uh, PEDs in volleyball. I think we've touched on it briefly before, but with all the attention Alex Rodriguez has been getting, oh Alex, I know folks don't want to hear about it, but I, I could not think of a comparable case in the sport of volleyball, remotely approaching a Rod or Barry Bonds or or some of the other doping things that have been out there. McGuire, I could not think of anything. Remotely the approaching, not only the level of use, but also the indignant response from the players.
4: Do the fans really care?
3: I was halfway through an article this morning before I had to get ready for the show and move all the painting equipment out of the way <laughs> for our program here in the studio. Uh, but I was reading an article that said, if I played, of course I would cheat. Because the benefits far outweigh the penalties.
4: Barry Bonds made the Arco, he probably made $100 million more because he was blasting home runs than he would have if he did not.
3: Brady Anderson of the Orioles. Ask him. And look, like, cheating, the word cheating
4: is a bad word, but in every single sport, you are doing something to take advantage of the other team to win the game. Right? You know the other, you know the quarterbacks.
3: This gets to where we draw the line. Yeah. You get the quarterbacks call count. Is that cheating because you know what he's going to do? Uh, in baseball, there's all kinds of unwritten BS. Oh, my like uh, You don't even get me started on baseball. Yeah, um, but I mean, taking cold hard steroids, uh, the, oh, line, the saying, line is before that. Let's just say that. I'm not sure exactly where the line is, but it's before yeah. that. I always like to say, too, though, like, and I, this is the
4: uh, other argument flip side of it. Once you become a professional, it's entertainment, Kevin. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're doing it. They, it's called NBA entertainment. Right. Because it's entertaining and there's money involved um and if it wasn't for steroids baseball may not be around right now the only thank you mark mcguire sammy sosa
3: the only issue that i kind of have with that because yeah there's the the notion that says well let them take whatever um I don't necessarily disagree with that, except that I do see the influence that they are able to have on you. That is the backlash of all of that. Correct. And having a professional who's in his mid-20s to, to 40 taking uh, a certain substance and putting it in his body in a controlled manner and stuff, there's probably ways that it won't hurt you as bad. I mean, not everyone's going to be Lyle Alzado and die of brain tumor or Flojo and all the stuff that surrounds but that her, kind of, her early death. But I mean, they
4: never proved that that's what it was linked to. Anyway. No, sorry. but...
3: but Let's did, assume, for the help. sake of discussion, that help. that there is some influence. There. Yeah, yeah. The problem becomes that you don't just have people in their twenties and thirties taking it. You have then kids who yeah. are still developing. Who Where do you stop the line? Fourteen yeah. to twenty, let's say, which is really going to ruin them, by the way. Oh, and and most times for nothing. You know, we talk about the benefits that these guys are getting. Yeah, you're going to make sixty million, a hundred million, fifty million, twenty million dollars. There, there's some argument to be had there. Yeah, where Arod, even if he took the 211 game suspension, is still going to have 60 plus million dollars due on his deal. There's some argument to be made there that because of his PED he signed the 250 million dollar contract with the Rangers, then he signed the big deal with the Yankees, mm-hmm. and that somehow has been worth it. Well, that's an adult parsing that. Most kids would end up taking it at a time when it is far more destructive, and has far less benefit. Correct. Probably no benefit. But they don't know that because they're kids. And, and that becomes the influence. So I, I don't know how you let that one out of the bag. And people say, well, what about well, protein has... supplements and stuff? I go, yeah, but that's a, that's a substance that you could eat anyway. You cannot yeah. eat uh, diazabol or whatever the heck those things are yeah. called. You cannot eat that substance in something else. Correct. Right? I can, I can eat a protein shake or I can eat a, two chicken breasts. Yeah. It's still protein. Yeah, yeah. I can't go eat... Diazabal, or the clear, or the, yeah. I mean, these are these are designer drugs. Probably doesn't taste good anyways. <laughs> no, I probably can't put it on the grill. Yeah. And, and that's that's one of the the lines.
4: I, I'm with you on that. Um, and that's why we drank the pink, Kevin. That's right. drink the pink. That's right. Biosteel.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And they were saying if you want to get rid of doping, then it has to be first offense, you're out. It's nice in theory. I like the statement. I like the the notion of it.
4: What happens? A-,
3: a Rod, I think, because of his personality,
4: has become a little bit a bit of a pariah. But what if this was Derek Jeter? Would baseball be really wanting? They they don't want A Rod to play ever again. People forgive ever once,
3: even twice. People forgive you make those mistakes, and he admitted it before. And but he's it, never caught. Well, no, it, it's the obstruction of justice that's the biggest problem.
4: Yes, well, and before too he. They were just testing the players just to see who was doing it. It wasn't, a, it wasn't illegal. Right. People forget right. it wasn't illegal. Right. When Mark McGuire and all those guys were doing that, even up until he did five nothing or six outside years ago, he, it was in the rules. Right. That's my thing that people forget. Like It point. wasn't illegal to do it. Great point. And it also saved baseball. You're welcome.
3: It did save baseball. 100% baseball saved baseball. Yeah.
4: People go for the long ball, Kevin,
3: for the long ball. Yeah, they want to see it. <laughs> I loved the people at the time who said, oh, it's not affecting Are home runs. Are you crazy? You're an idiot. Uh, you, well, it doesn't make their hand-eye coordination any better. You're, you're right. But it's going to help you hit the
4: ball 450 yards longer, maybe than
3: 350. Your bat speed is faster, oh, so yeah. I have the hand-eye coordination. As soon as I react, the the bat gets there quicker. It gets there with more force. If I can hit the ball 10 more feet, consistently 10 more feet, all of a sudden, 50 or 25 fly balls that I hit? Last year, yeah. our home runs this year.
4: Oh, Barry Bonds made a hundred million more dollars because he was blasting balls out of the
3: out of the stadium. We could be in a huge giant studio if only I'd done steroids. Yeah, could have hit the ball ten miles an hour harder. Could have. Maybe my knees would have lasted too. Have bigger leg bulk, stronger, more powerful. I don't think that's how it works. Hang on, I gotta get yeah. The hold
4: prescription. On. There's the clear right <laughs> <over> here.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean obviously the larger. Sports entities are going to continue to follow that story rapidly. Do you think we're going to get this issue with the NBA and the NFL? As Listen, well at there, some point? there's a lot of drug use in the NFL. You're just not that big and that fast.
4: Uh, when you're just, a defensive lineman, you're running a 4.540. There's a lot of drug At use. 350 pounds?
3: There's a lot of drug use because the problem is the drugs are ahead of the testing, and that, that will always be. A Rod's biggest problem and Ryan Braun's biggest problem is they got caught twice. They're also. I mean, A-Rod, a- he, he has created an even bigger storm because he's so pig-headed about it. He has a bad rep anyway, and he was, according to reports, actively obstructing yeah, that's, the investigation that's what really himself
4: upset. and that's, other people. That's what upset baseball.
3: Yeah, you can't, sure. you can't go doing that to your employer. I mean, imagine you and I work at the same firm. We're lawyers. Yeah. You're being investigated for malpractice. I am actively working to thwart that investigation that is being conducted by my employer. Not good. And it's not going to end well for me. No. (laughs) You can't do that. But A-Rod, because of the amount of money he's made, because of his lack of education, let's be honest, you guy's did nothing but play baseball his entire life, Mm -hmm. hit the bubble that he lives in. He thinks that somehow that's the best course of action. He thinks that somehow he's entitled, that he's bigger than baseball. Well, you're not. Yeah. And You'll let me, find out when it grinds on and Let sure. me tell you
4: something. If more than one person knows, it's going to get out there. Yeah. I mean, that's just about – eventually we'll get out there.
3: I was bigger than the national team, but somehow they ground on after I was gone. I don't know how I don't that know happened. how the national team is still going on without you, Kevin. I don't know how that happened. I mean, that's, it's a funny thing with some of these athletes that they think they are a little bit bigger than the sport that they – That has made them famous. Yep. You know, your brand has not eclipsed your sport. Correct. I don't know. It, and Baseball should be around for a long time after Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez is 36 years old or whatever, 38. 38. He's on his way out. He will be gone. I, I he played surprised. last night, by the way. i oh, so stupid. <laughs> I would be surprised if he plays another major league game after this uh, appeal. He, if the suspension finally goes through. Right. Because or he's going to appeal it it. they say the decision won't be made till November at the yeah. earliest by the arbitrator. And at that point, I expect the arbitrator to rule against him. You know, maybe maybe there's other evidence, but everything that anyone is reporting basically says he's screwed. Yeah. Ryan Braun took 65 games, didn't say a word. He's like, I'm just going to sit here quietly and hopefully I can come back and make some money. And he's the only guy who ever beat the, By technicality. the league yep. in arbitration. Even he said, I, I'm not doing it. Yeah. A Rod is going to lose the appeal, the ruling will come in November. He will be suspended for two years or whatever it may be. Yeah. He will never suit up in a major league uniform again. The Yankees may have to pay him, but Which you know they're not happy about. You won't see him. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't disagree with what A. Rod said that they're trying to get out from under that contract. Well, yeah, I mean that's true. These I organizations would are are dastardly that way. Depends on what kind of clause is in there. Yeah. But bringing it back to volleyball, like we always do,
4: it would be hard. Look, you'd be stupid to think like nobody who plays professional volleyball. Is taking steroids or some type of performance enhancing drug. Yeah. Like just percentage. It's just percentage wise. But I, I feel like from talking to the players and how often they're tested on the FIBB tour or because they're playing on the FIVB tour, it does a decent job of curtailing that. Um, yeah, I don't think it's
3: real prevalent in volleyball.
4: It's going to be there, though. I mean, you, I don't care. Golf, it's in golf. Probably in cricket. Yeah, but there's more money.
3: Yes, maybe. Maybe there's some more chess. money. There's no benefit to it in volleyball. Like I could be a better volleyball player, that would be the benefit. But what's that worth dollar-wise? Even if it's worth a hundred grand a year for five
4: years. Well, then I guess it depends on what the penalties are. Like, what are the repercussions? Let's say you're not going to get you're caught, caught. You're not going to get caught. Well, then if you're not going to get me, caught, I'm going to take steroids right now.
3: No, because but because each individual has to make a decision be about the buttons. potential effect it's going to have. Correct. On. on their physical body, on their on their future life. And I think because the number is not big enough, that's why you don't see it. You might see it. If the number was, like it is in baseball, $15 million, yeah. $20 million. Uh, For sure. <laughs> Anyone who says it's not about the money, yeah, right. If you're offered $20 million to risk potential problems 30 years down the road, yeah, yeah I'd look at it. I'll tell you right now, I'd look at it for sure. If if my next contract can be thirty million dollars because I took some substance that I figure I can manage and it won't hurt me that much and I will take and I will receive the benefit of thirty million dollars, you better believe I'm gonna look at it more seriously. But volleyball doesn't have the numbers to do that. True. The uh, no, money. I'm with you on that. The financial yeah, yeah. numbers. I'm with you. So I think if you say otherwise, you're a purist or you don't care about money and you, maybe you live in a a shanty. I don't know. A shanty. Thirty million dollars is a lot of money. No Even doubt. after taxes and agent fees, you're still looking at about seventeen, eighteen. You're clearing. Not bad. It's going to buy a lot of biscuits.
4: Again, I go back to pro leagues or entertainment, and it's also everybody's going to do something to get an advantage. Whether it's legal or illegal, there's always going to be some form of cheating in professional sports. Sure.
3: It's called gaining an advantage. Correct. And at some point it becomes cheating rather than gaining an advantage. Correct. But yeah, you've got to ride that edge. You know. No doubt. It's the way it's got to go. McKee never called back. I know he's done his meeting, but it's okay. No, it's okay. Whatever. He's not on the show anymore anyway, so (laughs) we would have appreciated his call. We did appreciate the calls of Albert Hanneman and Jake Gibb and Jeff Alzina. We appreciated them giving to the program today, and we enjoyed the discussion. Once again, congratulations to Stacey Sikora on a fantastic career and on her silver medal a few years ago. Hi, Kevin. He's Jeremy, and we will be back next Monday? Are we back next Monday or are we off next Monday? I think we're here Let's, next Monday. Hold it's the on. weekend after. It's the weekend after that I'm not here. Yeah, We're back. We will be back next Monday with yet another live. We hope you're enjoying your summer as it uh, starts to come to a close. August, kind of the end. Kids going back to school in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. My kid's in four, but most kids in yeah. two. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll talk to you. Thanks to ABCA, Bible Magazine, Hurley, everyone who supported the show. We will see you next Monday. Have a good week. Volleyball Magazine, the only print publication covering all aspects of the sport you love. VBM has been publishing the latest in volleyball news for over 35 years. With exclusive photo galleries, player interviews, event coverage, product reviews, and volleyball-specific health and fitness advice, Volleyball Magazine is a great resource for players and fans of all levels. Now with an even more robust online presence, check out VolleyballMag.com to subscribe and find exclusive web content and articles. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, Volleyball Mag is the industry's number one volleyball magazine.